Welcome, everybody. This is the Reality Czars Podcast, and I'm your only host tonight, Nate. I think Tony's at work, and I am once again joined by the great, powerful Arya Sulin. Thank you so much for joining me tonight, man. Uh, we've been talking here and there on the Instagrams, and you were telling me some like crazy shit, and I was like, man, we got to talk about this, and it's been a minute. So, uh, and we always have a fun conversation. I'm stoked to have you. Uh, Ari, you are a returning champion. You've been in like our top 10 for the longest time, uh, but you haven't been on in a minute. So I'm super stoked to have you on. And uh, do you, so paradigm threat, uh, you fucking know everything about everything. So I'm stoked to have you on here. Do you want to tell our audience anything new? Do you like, you have any stuff you, uh, you want to plug or just uh, tell us, tell everybody where they can find you. All that fun stuff. ParadigmThreat.net. That's the website with all the research in it. Um, I'm slowly working out articles on the website as I'm doing the research and trying to complete certain projects. One of the projects right now, chronology from first memory till right now, today, modern day. So there's this whole timeline, right? You got um, <clears throat> you got in uh, what the teachers in school is that you know timelines over billions of years. Um, <clears throat> the uh, the creationists believe you know creation happened in a very short time, a few days. Uh, in Saturnian cosmology slash uh, catastrophic cosmology, you also have events happening rapidly. And, um, and, and the, <clears throat> the creation of the solar system, each planet, the formation of uh, you know the seasons, the weather, everything that we're used to today, all happened rapidly. And with each change, essentially have a reset. Um, the reset meaning everything that was a certain way, farming, um, you know, the ability to give birth, enjoying a golden age, for example, suddenly changes over into something else entirely. Um, and everyone just has to adjust to it. So, um, you know, that could be said of World War One and Two, or, you know, Civil War, Napoleonic Wars. Every single time something like this happened, entire societies or the world society, all of it, had to adjust to the new reality. So uh, putting together chronology from Saturnian cosmology uh, to... Uh, modern day using Fomenko's new chronology. I'm not sure. Have I covered Fomenko on this before? A little bit. Yeah. yeah okay. <clears throat> so when we talk mud flood. Right. Is the Eastern version of history that is shorter. And, and they say it's only about a thousand years or less. And that an extra thousand years was added. This is phantom time hypothesis. You can find this on Wikipedia. Um, so this timeline is much shorter, a thousand years. And that's all the way to the birth of civilization. Before that, <clears throat> there was all, it's all creation events pretty much before a thousand years ago. It's all pretty much the origin of earth, you know, mountains and so forth. <clears throat> and not so much what the humans are doing. So my chronology basically split in between, between those creation events. And then after the birth of history, <clears throat> I've been trying to line up the major events that, that uh, add up to the causality uh, between events without knowing the causality. You know, we don't know anything. You know, the way they teach uh, history in school, this happened, that happened, this war happened, <clears throat> migrations randomly, you know, didn't invent things for hundreds of thousands of years, and then boom, huge industrial revolutions. Uh, that's what they teach us. And there's no causality there. We don't know why things happened. The wars seem totally unnecessary and almost blasphemous. 
um, and the Industrial Revolution as well, all of them seem to be not to the betterment of mankind, but to his detriment. So <clears throat> essentially the history they give us, no causality. We gotta figure out why things happen. So um, say the Crusades, you know, the most important, significant historic religious event in modern human history. Um, we gotta understand that those Crusades, the way they teach them, they were random and they were pointless and they accomplished nothing. But understanding the real Crusades when they really happened and why, not only do we understand um, why things were happening back then, we understand things in the origin times better, the effect of all this creation time on modern uh, man, you know, what they thought of all of it, and especially the effect that all of that has on modern um, events today. Because uh, you can pretty much look at the world and you can say, none of this is resolved. Religion, religious disputes are still active. Uh, things are splintered. Even Christianity represents major splintering, fracturing, and that we are fighting wars over them. So um, to to um, to understand how this happens is so important to be able to under, to stop wars and to stop uh, religious schism, as that's been occurring for a long time. So anyway, a lot of uh, motivations to put this uh, timeline together. Uh, should I should I share? That'd be a uh, okay. Sharing. Let's get going. Yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah. Okay, one second. Window or screen. Now we got it. It's a little bit high resolution. Okay, there we go. So, really briefly, the index here. Um, this is just paradigmthreat.net slash chronology. Um, you see the project information, you know, why I'm doing it, all that. In particular, the length of a year changing. I'll get to that in a second. It's very significant. The, uh, if the length of the year changes and the calendar changes in history, that means a major shift in the solar system. It's not some just disagreement over calendars. So we start with 4077 BCE, which is uh, essentially um, right in the middle of what all the religious, different religions around the world think the creation date was. They go all over the place. Let me uh, show that example really quickly. Um, here, we got, you know, 5969 BC, um, all the way down to 3491 BC by different uh, religions and belief systems. Essentially, no one agrees on the creation date, so it doesn't really matter when this happened. All that matters is the order of events. The first major event, the um, <clears throat> uh, Saturn, the, uh, the brown dwarf, I'll just go over this really quickly, joins our sun, <clears throat> a magnetic connection, and just <clears throat> explodes into various planets and gas giants, <clears throat> forming a collinear configuration and a golden age. This uh, golden age was completely remarkable unlike anything that we have <clears throat> seen today. And all the religions knew about it and they mailed the, uh, you know, put the stuff in stone and books, holy texts and so forth. Um, after the breaking up of the golden age, um, you basically get this huge shift from 225 days to, um, I'm gonna skip a lot of this golden age stuff, to uh, 240 days. In 3147 BC, the golden age is just ends violently. All the planets shake and break up from the system, too much energy, was being charged up there. Plants had grown to too much size, etc. So it's totally natural. Like I said, it's a, just like a, a, a mother bird pushing uh, baby birds out of a nest when they get too big. It's time for you guys to fly. Um, it happens naturally. It's not a. It's not meant to be uh, interpreted as God's will or anything like that. But it was. Certain people, the monotheists specifically, said, "You know, God is punishing us. We have to do this. We have to do that." Um, the um, they didn't really know what to make of the stories back then. They just wrote them down. And today, we don't know what to make of the stories, period. A lot of the mythology 
has crazy stuff in it that just doesn't make sense to us, like a parent eating their children and the children bursting out of the belly. And it just doesn't relate to humans or even giants. It has to do with planets. And when, when you finally make the connection between gods and planets in mythology, suddenly everything becomes real simple and everything makes sense. Causality. They witness these planets tearing at each other, electromagnetic forces, cosmic thunderbolt, and so forth. And they drew these symbols everywhere. Uh, these symbols became holy and essential. So skipping forward again, we've got uh, another breakup of the nonlinear configuration. It, it goes into 260 days, but the planets are still sort of attached to each other and circling each other around the sun. Um, this is dark ages. Many terrible cataclysms happen. Um, you basically have the creation of the seasons, the creation of, of uh, northern cold weather and ice. The so-called ice age occurred at this time, but not a billion years ago or millions, but um, essentially 3,000 years ago. And the creation of the seasons caused northern and southern regions to become cold, <clears throat> central regions to, become, regions to become really hot. This caused the, <clears throat> the, um, the pyramids, which are all built around the equator, to stop functioning. They're all abandoned at that point. The pyramids represented the first empire on Earth, the pyramidal empire, as I call it, the first time Earth was ruled by some central authority, even though they're spread out in pyramids. <clears throat> that authority um, <clears throat> believed that they had the, sorry, excuse me, they had the authority to issue currency, and they did so under God's authority, which um, essentially the merging of, uh, of uh, priesthood and finance was... Um, what, what people consider the first Jews in history. And so the first Jews are found in the Exodus story in Egypt. Uh, some people say they were the slaves. Other people like Sigmund Freud say that they were the masters. Anyway, uh, the uh, going into, forward into history, we don't see them anymore for a while. Um, the breaking up of the, of the pyramidal empire left the deep state in disarray. Deep state is just all those elite humans who basically use technology and, and God's authority and all kinds of stuff to rule other people. Uh, it's very easy for them to do in the dark age. People came to them for answers. But after their empire broke up in the Exodus event, they um, lost their empire. So let me grab that one real fast. Exodus. Sorry, I was too far back. The Exodus. After the Exodus 1492, interesting date, right? It's BCE 1492. The um, pyramid empire is no more. The people, they don't Exodus. The Exodus means the elite leave, actually, because they're no longer ruling the people. No more servants. There's a little bit of revolt. So they're the ones actually leave and go into Central Europe, while all of the slaves and so forth stay at the pyramids and they sort of maintain them up until uh, even Napoleon's time. Um, moving forward again, yeah, Pyramidal Empire of Earth, like I said, find these pyramids all over the place and you find them today, modern day pyramids, like biggest one on Earth built in in North Korea of all places. Yeah. So uh, Interesting. I hadn't heard that. Yeah, that's yeah, fascinating. So yeah, you'll find pyramids today constantly being built. Like I said, Trans-American Pyramid, that one shard in, uh, in UK, and then that one in um, Dubai, everyone knows about that one. That one looks like Tower of Babel with its spiraling, you know? It's like they're just so asking. who was the original, um, who was this original empire? Who was this kingdom, the, uh, the pyramidal empire? The pyramidal empire was simply the ones who could, the ones who were able to build the pyramids um, in the early time of humanity. Now, why would anyone build pyramids? Well, Real simple. Um, the energy, the Earth was extremely energetic, and and any time that um, these energy ley lines would cross, and these are electromagnetic fields that are overlapping, these points on the Earth would become extremely energetic um, torrents, essentially. 
and they can sense them. They can almost see them. Some people can see them. Even today, they can see them. Um, <clears throat> that was a place to build a pyramid or a temple or whatever you got um, in order to harness that power. And once you harness the power of the vortex, natural earth vortex vortices, uh, they are all connected, and you can communicate between each temple, between each pyramid. You can uh, send visions and audio from one to another. They re they're received by these stone idols and metal idols, and people put their hands on the idols and they see visions. Very convincing stuff. Uh, it sounds like um, advanced technology. Actually, what this is is telepathy. Um, and we were all very telepathic as humans back then. It wasn't until modern day with all the um, fluoride in the water and many other reasons why we are no longer with that ability. Also, it was bred out of us. But uh, back then, and everyone was. So anyone going into the temple would hear God's voice. And by that trick, the priesthood would essentially rule humanity in the early days. Those that fell for it. Uh, the Wizard of Oz is actually a story about that. It's about how you go in there and you're supposed to be by it, but some people were not. Also, it's about how the wizard up in um, in in uh, Atlantis would essentially grant every indigenous race anything they want as long as they got something back for it. It was a trade-off that the priests would use to rule people. So you see, they're not just priests. They're very much intent on ruling. Um, yeah. so the pyramids were, at first, they were peaceful, built by giants and so forth. But later on, the pyramids, um, it was inevitable that the... Um, that the people inside them took advantage of the fact that that they were you know in charge because you can't invade a pyramid you can't attack a pyramid and they can coordinate around the planet it's extremely advantageous in the early time it could not fight against it so nobody really fought the pyramid empire and when it finally broke up on its own due to changes in the solar system people basically were like okay well you guys did not represent god's authority like you said you did or else god wouldn't have smited you and that's what the Exodus story is all about. It's about you know, the Pharaoh or what you want to call it. Basically. Um, being no, are you said something real fast. You said the earth was very energetic at that time. Yeah. Is it, was it more energetic then than it is now? Yes, absolutely. It was still okay. part of a close configuration of planets where the planets were close to each other and all the energy was flowing in between the planets in high amplitude at low voltage. So you basically had energetic earth back then. <clears throat> so yeah okay because i i've talked to folks in the in uh the past and they've talked to me and they they've said things like they think at one time that we were almost like living in a harry potter sort of world where like magic and alchemy really worked exactly and and was that like the fall of atlantis when that when that kind of fell and then the magic went away basically they couldn't like do the same things that they had and so like some of those technologies just ceased to exist absolutely and i kind of skipped okay. Atlantis, but that is an important period because it is uh, the moment when oh, i thought i had a okay the um <clears throat> at the top of the yggdrasil tree the world tree which is literally made up of planets it's the world's tree um you basically had mars not the very top but that was the highest place that humans could stand it was at the north pole of mars and and, and that place all of the energy of the entire configuration was flowing through it and at its most safest uh, voltage. So yes, it was completely magical. People in those locations didn't just invent technology. The technology was springing to life around them. It was like creation at their fingertips. It's not magic. That's not the word for it. It's more like, you know, emeralds are growing out of the ground. You chop the emeralds into size, you make stuff out of them, you record audio and video into them, uh, stuff like that. It, it just, they, they, they didn't have to invent it. It was simply, uh, apparent to them 
in this one location. And so this location became Atlantis. Atlantis functioned throughout the Golden Age, um, and it was the best place to be and so forth. But when the configuration broke apart, Atlantis fell into the North Pole of Mars, which is where I believe it is today. Um, yeah. So let's, uh, let's move ahead. Unless you got any more questions about that? No, not yet. Awesome. Cool. So um, Venus was interesting. That's the uh, angel of death, which basically flew right out of Jupiter. And that's what convinced everyone that the, um, the Cyrus or Ra god was not one god, but actually made up of several parts. And that's where the myth comes from. Osiris was chopped up and, and buried in the Nile by his enemy Set, which Set is literally the setting of the sun or darkness. People had not encountered darkness until... So, sorry, I had a real quick question for you. Sorry, yeah. uh, but this is awesome. Um, I, I was just curious about this because I, I'm sure... I'm Maybe we've talked about this before. Do you believe in any like um, creator at all? Do you think that there's any god, gods at all? Is there anything like that? Or is... Or is everything that we've ever interpreted as God something more astrological? Um, let's just say I don't believe in a in a deity that influences human affairs, that kind of thing. And the metaphor for a creator God can be easily found in Saturnian cosmology. And then the metaphor for a um, spiritual God can easily be found in Gnostic religion or, say, the ether, etherical religions. So honestly, uh, it's like a multi-answered question there. But as far as monotheism... No, I don't. I gave that up when I was 14 years old. I, raised, I was raised uh, Jewish at the time, and I was I was reading the Torah and all of this stuff. So I, they did make a dose of it. I just couldn't accept it in its current form. Okay. All right. That's fascinating. I just like whenever we talk about like these big things that happen, like because sometimes, dude, I don't discount some of those early stories and maybe even like things maybe like the Anunnaki and things like that. Do you – do you think there's anything to any of that, or do you think this is all just explained uh, through like astrological things that have happened? Oh yeah, it's actually very simple, and it's about scale. That's a key word here: scale. Um, you, you hear about these Anunnakis, these gods at the early creator times, and they created. You know, they made stuff. So who are they? Well, in this um, Sumerian tablet, you got this wheel on top of a mountain, and that's definitely the wheel of heaven, which you see in all of the other civilizations. So that's a match for Saturn and Mars and Venus. But down here, you see this giant guy, and he's wearing a crown. And people are like, oh, that's the Anunnaki. Okay, well, so who's that? Well, that is a giant. And giants were very big in, in the early, I mean, very big. They're mountain size in the, in the creation days. They came down in size and scale since then because it's actually extremely difficult for giants to live in non-energetic environments um, like modern day, you know, lightning strikes and so forth, um, tedious environments. They, they started to get smaller as soon as the Dark Ages hit. So anyway, the Anunnaki, more or less, are the giants. You can also find them in the Mormon Bible. They are the um, the Nephilim, or, or Nephites. And the Nephilim were, um, they had their own their own chronicles. They, they said, hey, we came from the Tower of Babel, and after it fell, we went to America. You know, they, all this, they, they spell it out in the Book of Mormon. Um, they were just giants who were alive, and the Tower of Babel isn't a location. It was the entire configuration. Everyone remembered the day it broke down, the end of the Golden Age, and everyone who chronicled their history, which most families did back then, basically said, um, basically said, we all came from the Tower of Babel. That's when we left the collective. That's when we stopped being able to telepathically communicate. And that's when people were forced to migrate away from the north northern regions and into the uh, equatorial regions. So 
kind of spanning a couple of topics there, but that's that's it. I don't I don't believe you're going to find a a uh, a magical deity type uh, figure like like in the movie Prometheus, for example, that is just so above us that they created, invented humans and the DNA and set in motion everything because it's not necessary because we already know how all the plants are set in motion. We know why humans and animals exist. We have we have we have literature, endless endless literature that tells us exactly what um, happened. And the only thing we need to do is interpret that literature correctly and try not to dismiss all of it. Cause honestly we do dismiss all of it. So let's, uh, let's go to the, um, where we left off there. So yeah, the thing, interesting thing about Venus, uh, Venus represents an energetic event. This encounter with the sun in 1442 BC that's found all over Asian art. You always see the dragon, which is Venus regarding this shape, this fiery ball in the sky. It looks like a sun. And, um, you know, it's the same impression every time. It's like, oh, no, right? The dragon's saying, oh, no, it's not, like, going to eat it. A lot of people say it's going to eat it. I don't think so. But these pictures, the dragon looks kind of startled. The sun is our sun today, the current sun, um, not, not the old sun, Saturn. And Venus is the planet Venus in the dragon shape. Why is it a dragon shape? Because it's a gas dwarf. Venus was formed in the creation of our solar system, uh, out of Saturn, just like Jupiter was. And they are just made of gas. Um, science, NASA, popular science will try to insist that we've detected ground on Venus. Okay, that's fine. Um, honestly, you're going to have to trust NASA on that one because we cannot see any mountains. Not really. Well, we know Venus is very trustworthy. I'm sorry, NASA. <laughs> we know so that NASA is very trustworthy. They, they believe everything of, they say. Their reputation internationally is a lot worse than their reputation here in America, actually. Um, yeah, they've been. That's just, funny. Yeah. So, um, so Venus uh, approaches the sun and stops and reaches its current orbit where it is today. That's an energetic event. That means something energetic happens. Um, we see the same thing in atomic physics when electrons jump states in atoms. Each state is a layer around the uh, nucleus, and electrons, when they uh, connect to molecules, they have covalence. They jump up or down. Venus was jumping down into the sun because it's made of uh, gas and charges quickly, but it reached a state, uh, a level where it's at equilibrium, where it can't go any further without falling back. And it stopped and everyone saw Venus stop in 1442. Very interesting. Um, cathodes and cathedrals have a connection, of course. Uh, cathedrals are all built as giant cathodes to absorb energy. So when did all this energy happen? That was the Prometheus event. Uh, Prometheus story, everyone knows, it's the god, the Greek god that gave um, humans technology, fire, I suppose, um, and they got punished for it. So Prometheus is Mars, and Mars did give humans technology in the past. It's just a great, wonderful story, and someday we're going to tell it right, interpret it correctly. Can't blame the Greeks for getting it wrong, because they just wrote it down, what they saw. They didn't understand the physics of it, or the causality, and they absolutely did believe that these were gods. Um, so... Mars, the most active god, the one with the biggest history, you know, Hercules, Heracles, so on and so forth, basically went back and forth, oscillating nine times between um, between the outer orbit and Earth. And every time it hit Earth, it hit us with terrible lightning storms. It also hit itself with terrible lightning storms, and that's where we see all these stars on Mars across the surface. This lightning taught humans how to build, or how to harness electricity. Um, with electricity came pretty much all the other technology. So Mars... And the connect and the interactions with Mars represents the end of 
cataclysmic event in the beginning of human history. From now on, it's all up to us. Just regular seasons, no more, you know, planets showing up or gods, whatever you want to call them, and striking us down and us not knowing why and laying and deferring once again to the priesthood just to, to take over and take advantage of the situation. Um, mm. In my research, I believe that this period, 670 BC, this is an arbitrary number. This is just a number somebody decided to put into the old texts. Nobody can say boo because the Vatican destroyed every other text in the world. This is not controversial. This is part, this is known history. And they redacted those texts into the Gutenberg Latin Bible in 1452, which is quite different from the Cyrillic original Bible and um, <clears throat> has new dates especially. But if, if you guys, if anyone listening is familiar with Bibles, if you've gone to church a lot, you might actually agree that they don't talk about dates very often. They like to just focus on the events. You know, this was Exodus, this was Moses, this was um, the flood. And they don't say, by the way, kids, this is the year. You know, you have to go to a good teacher, a good uh, Sunday school teacher that cares, that decides to make their own content to show timelines and stuff. But the Christians are kind of phobic about timelines, which basically are teaching them, which basically means that that's the Vatican Church I'm talking about, which is phobic about giving away their secrets. And timelines are their secrets, one of many. These guys um, are the ones you have to trust with this date, 670 BC. So my opinion, I, I believe that this is the same date as the year 1053 in the beginning of human history. And why do I believe that? Because we know that this number was made up. That is Fomenko's main theory. And the theory, like I said, um, the phantom time hypothesis, which, which indicates that the Vatican was in a position to modify the timeline and then lie to all of us going forward. And they, they said that, you know, there was a Roman empire, which there really isn't any evidence of. Um, the, the Holy Roman Catholic Church today will admit that they have no connection to the Roman empire, even though they share the name Roman. So there's a lot of big clues right there. Um, so that's just my opinion that 670 BCE till 15, three, uh, to 1053 CE is the blip, that there is nothing, that there is no history there. It's just made up. And so we can move mm. right into modern day where um, now all the humans have technology. They build cities all over the planet. Uh, things are pretty peaceful. There is no money. There is no war. There is no slavery. Um, all of these. When is this? Uh, this is 15. Uh, sorry, I keep saying 15. This is 1053. Gotcha. Okay. Um, just under 1,000 years ago. Basically 970 years ago. Um, all the cataclysms are over, and now basically start to have the sun as the as the one only god. You replaced all the old pantheon, all the old god, gods are gone, specks of light in the in the sky, and all anyone sees is the sun. The sun creates the seasons. People become aware of uh, uh, thirteen months originally, and then the thirteenth month started to shrink, became unlucky, representing the unlucky number thirteen. Um, the sun, though, was the new indigenous religion of every of every race on the planet. Um, it wasn't until later with the with the Vatican um, redaction of the Bible and with the Jesuit expansion all over the planet, um, converting everyone to monotheism, was the sun or sun god combined with the human historic Christ, who also did exist. You got the sun, which is a, a thing in the sky um, that provides heat, warmth. It can, it can calm the storm. It can provide abundant um, food. Um, it can cure the lepers, all of those kinds of miracles and attributes. <clears throat> and on the other hand, you have this historical Christ figure who was crucified and made 
such an impression <clears throat> on people in even mo until modern day. So for me, I, I focused immediately on the crucifixion. And that's when I found uh, Fimienko's new chronology, where they where he talks about the um, the Russian version of Christianity. Um, it's to it's completely different. It's completely different. The Russian version of Christianity is just like it just happened over there, you know, in that location, and we know because it's, it's all still there now. And the and the Western version of Christianity is people reading Bibles and believing in stories that did not happen in the place that they live. The Exodus, for example, happened in Africa, but, you know, the Europeans kind of stole it from the Africans. And um, it seems that most of the Israel history happened in Russia. And it seems that a lot, of a lot of people believe that Israel is in Palestine today. That is because the Jesuits um, insisted on that location. That's when they, they, they were created. They started expanding all over the place with their um, pilgrims. And they went past Istanbul, the, the original location. They went straight to Palestine, they found Al-Aqsa Mosque, and they said, this is it, we found the ruins of Jerusalem. <laughs> Those poor Palestinians, dude, that are getting their land yes. stolen for a lie. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty uh, terrible. I'm not saying Sorry. it's right, though I'm sure you can tell who everyone I, I agree with. Yeah. I'm just saying that the Russians have a totally, version, totally different version of all of this. And is that version... Right, I've got, uh, we've got a couple comments here. Uh, so the first one is from Gareth Boland. Gareth says, I've heard info about the Knights Templar being the first banksters. But we were kind of talking about uh, that they might have actually been the Jews, is what you said earlier? Is that what you said, like, with the uh, Egyptians? Is that what you were saying? Well, that's a good point. I mean, I'm not too familiar with Knights Templars unless they're associated with the Crusades, those Templars. Um, but yeah. about the ones that are also bankers, yeah. Um, with the uh, Crusades, you start to see um, – you started, they you started, started doing a lot of banking, huh? Yeah, Sorry, you started the of currency, essentially. With the start of the Crusades, um, you went from a, a planet where nobody had money, everything was um, was essentially trade, and into one where the, the church was issuing coins, essentially. So, yeah. Hey, Gareth, how you doing? Uh, Kingdom of Zeal. Uh, Chrono Trigger, yeah. yeah, that's actually one. Chrono Trigger, that game, it's predictive programming, contains all kinds of references to our historic past. Um, Kingdom of Zeal, of course, Atlantis and its great fall, and then this Dark Age period that happened afterwards. All of it, even the Crusades, is part of the story. It's a very significant part of history, and um, unfortunately, dystopian future, which we're headed straight towards. But I'm not getting into that. Let's get into what happens with the Crusades here, because that'll answer that question. Um, okay. So, so Andronicus Christ is his name. Was born in the Crimea. He. Um, He's a giant. He's a hairy giant. How do I know this? Because a lot of the, the paintings of him and his mother. Jesus was a hairy giant? And yes. are those his titties? Well, that is Mary. That's his mother. That's Mary. Okay. Unfortunately, <laughs> it is the fact that she was a giant that got her into all this trouble in Crimea. Now, Crimea was not a place the giants lived. They all came from. Uh, all right. Just quick uh, aside. Yeah, yeah. Do you think that possibly that's where the legend of Bigfoot comes from? These big hairy giants? I'm that's a big Bigfoot guy. Yeah, and I definitely – yeah, Sasquatch. Do you think that they are a race of giants that are still around today? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Plenty of literature shows that they've been there the whole time, and the only reason we don't talk to them today is because we kind of hunt them. You know, would you would you want to talk to humans? No. But they are exactly like us. They're just a different breed of human with a lot of hair. We were bred out of that during the last 200 years, so we've lost a lot of those uh, traits. Interesting. Okay, um, and I think that you're probably going to touch on this, but my homie here, uh, 
uh, Drew from You're Missing the Point says, I'd love to hear Ari's take on Kazaria. Are yeah. you going to? Okay, cool. Hey, but, um, I would like to hear that too. So <laughs> that, that will start about 15th century. Okay, cool. So we're in the 12th century. A giant named Katya, I don't think her name was married yet. That's Western. Katya was uh, born in, in Katya's location that was named after later. Western um, Tataria. Tataria is also a Western name, but this is the center of the Rus Horde Empire. Um, I won't pull up a map because I know a lot of people research this stuff, but the Rus Horde Empire, the first um, empire since the Egyptian one, the first one to uh, to uh, appear in this time, what appeared as a result of this story. Um, that region was nothing special. There was no cities there. Just a bunch of giants living out in the wild where, where small humans didn't live. And they traveled to Istanbul, Turkey. Now, why would they do that? Because they were... Um, well, they're at war with the um, with the uh, the the smaller humans in Istanbul, which they built this big um, castle uh, fortress. Essentially, it was uh, the Tro uh, Troy, the Trojan uh, uh, fortress, is the same fortress as Jerusalem one, the first Jerusalem, the ones that humans built. That was in Istanbul, and the Russians would insist on that. The Bible confirms that, that was the location of Jerusalem one. Um, <clears throat> Now, I believe that that was just a location to fight giants because castles aren't good for fighting humans. Uh, the, the Trojan War proves it. Um, humans get uh, trapped at the castle, blockaded from supplies, and then they lose the war within months. So it only is any good against giants. And you'll find a bunch of castles in England because they're all hunting giants over there. Um, so back to the point. Um, they were also trying to evangelize giants. The, this was the central church authority. So it's a deep state trying to regain control of Earth, essentially, since they lost it in the Egyptian exodus. And uh, their main enemy is giants. Giants have their own religion. Giants have Bibles. They wrote the first Bible. The Cyrillic Bible was written by giants. Tremendous, huge book. Um, and it, the books got smaller over time. Um, the, the, uh, the church, essentially, the central church had to have a plan for either converting or killing the giants. And that was the Crusades. Um, what they did was they evangelized giants and, um, and Mary, uh, or sorry, uh, Katya had made it as far as Crimea, but then she got pregnant. And, um, at that moment, all the giants were again being attacked by that central church authority, which was redacted into the Bible as King Herod driving out, um, the Jews or whatever you want to call it. Um, instead there was just, uh, the Istanbul Turkish, uh, attacking the giants in, uh, Eastern Europe. Um, so Mary... Yeah, Katya, she was pregnant, and that was the problem. She couldn't get away. She was stuck in Crimea and couldn't migrate fast enough to not be attacked. She was overcome by the Turkish church authorities, um, and they found her um, essentially in a stable. Why? Because she couldn't fit in the, in the inn. The Bible does not explain why she wasn't allowed in the inn, but if you understand that she's a big giant, then you understand that they put her in a stable because that was the safest place for her. Now, she was unable to give birth. She, um, and there were no other giants around to do it. So you gotta understand the humans were kind of at a loss here. This is a really unique situation. And the smaller humans decided to give her the first cesarean section. Maybe not the first, but the first one that made it to history. Um, according to Fumenko, the uh, Adronicus Christ, AKA Jesus Christ, was a reflection, was reflected in many other characters in history, like Muhammad, and especially Caesar of Rome. Caesar of the fictional Rome was 
known for having a caesarean section, which is what he's named after. And it's that, it's that fact of this real story that is what Caesar is actually named after. Otherwise, it's completely random that he was named that. So Katya had a caesarean in a stable, and they cut um, Christ out of, out of her. Now, why is he called Christ? Well, Christ means anointed one. That's all it means. And anointed because she didn't have or they weren't aware of the father, probably because of communication issues, honestly, culture clash and so forth. But everyone thought there was no father. And maybe it was a virgin birth. It really doesn't matter because that's not completely unique. It's just rare. And so this um, essentially this virgin birth happened. And everyone's like, look at this special giant. He's special. He's different. Not as scary as the other ones. He got attached to humans. And the humans brought him back to Istanbul, to Jerusalem, where he was initiated as a rabbi. But he's not just like any other rabbi. He's a giant rabbi. And they're thinking, all right, we got one. You know, let's, let's convert him and send him back to Crimea, he will convert the other giants. It's all just part of the same simple plan. Problem is, Andronicus Christ has just a little bit too much influence from his upbringing, from his mom. And um, he remembers the old Bibles, polytheism. He remembers the end of usury. He remembers the fall of the old empire. He's just a little bit too intelligent for them to convert. And he causes trouble. He says, you guys have no authority to charge a currency. He knocks over those uh, currency tables right there in the church. He says, you guys can't connect these two things. That's blasphemy um they of course say what do we need to do about this guy he's causing a revolution they and they of course they make this plan to to bring him down now killing him that's not good enough that would just draw the giants into suspicion about the whole thing they would never come again they need to bring the giants to troy to jerusalem for a war they're trying to eliminate them and this and this war could only happen if they essentially humiliate the giants that is the nature of the crucifixion they said you're one of us christ you're a rabbi if you really believe in in god's authority which you said you did when he knocked those coins over then you will expect that god has given us instruction here you are not the savior everyone's looking for that next savior after the sun showed up and saved everyone um a lot of people said you know the monotheists are wrong there isn't going to be any more saviors after the sun but they're still looking for that one and when Christ showed up, um, they said, well, he thinks he's the next savior that they are so obsessed with. Whether he said that himself, doesn't matter. They accused him of saying that he was a savior. And they said, because of that, um, you're going to be punished. You're going to take a giant cross and drag it yourself, because no one can carry a giant cross for a giant, bring it all the way up to that hill on the, on the Bafors River in Istanbul, and essentially lay down on the ground. Let us set up the, the, the ropes and let us put it up. I don't think he was stabbed with nine inch nails. I don't think that was necessary. Maybe it was. Giants get stabbed a lot and they heal very quickly. What really happened was he was hanging up there. A crowd of humans came. They're like, okay, it's that giant. We're so afraid of giants, but this one's tied up and obedient. So they sneered at him. They threw stuff at him and they said, we're not afraid of you. You thought you were the savior. You thought you were going to convince us that our church religion monotheism was wrong. This is just a ploy that the priest came up with. It's very effective. It's kind of childish, but it works and it worked. And his followers sort of, you know, he said, oh, I didn't follow him. He was denied by many of them. And he sort of just went away into, he, he, uh, he sort of went away in everyone's mind. Like, that's over now. He got crucified. I do believe the priest timed the crucifixion for a, um, a uh, an eclipse, a solar eclipse. Um, that That's probably true. And they were in charge of Zodiac. It was one of their secrets. And they probably knew every eclipse that was coming. Um, so just to kind of imply that they had God's authority and that there could be an eclipse, no one's going to save 
Christ and so in all kinds of visual messaging without having to say anything. That's the nature of the crucifixion. Now, I don't think they died. I do think he was stabbed. You know, people stabbed him and, and stuff, but giants are very hard to kill. There's paintings of him being brought down by his family, probably alive. And then there's constantly in different indigenous um, histories, references to seeing Christ later on, second, um, second revelation. And um, this didn't just happen in America. This happened in, 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 J in Japan and Eastern, in Asia, for example, in, uh, in India, as everyone knows. And, um, and it's probably just true. It's probably just a legitimate story that this guy, after the crucifixion, traveled back to his home, back to Crimea, and uh, I'm sorry, into, uh, into Tataria. And when he came home, that's where he got his following. The old giants said, hey, you know, this, um, this, this was BS what they did to you. They humiliated us, and, and I heard what happened and stuff. The giants became angry. They became rallied. Um, the first crusade is known as the children's crusade. Not the very first one, but one of the first ones. Um, just imagine the children are giants, and it makes a lot more sense. Giant children are you know, more like 50 or 60 years old, and the only difference between them and the much older giants is that they are rash. They are, they are capable of, of rallying and saying, let's go do this. And the other giants saying, don't do it. It's a bad idea. That's a trap even. But the children don't understand that. And they marched all the time to Istanbul. And as everyone knows about the children's crusade, they all got captured or killed, every last one of them. So the children's crusade, assuming that they were giants, is my evidence that the crusades were nothing more than a giant, no pun intended, trap to take out giants and to, and to dislodge their religion from people's minds. You have to understand the giants were the demigods of, of history. Everyone just just went to them for religion, uh, assuming they knew everything, that they're oldest, and they had the Bibles. Like I said, they wrote them themselves. We have a couple more comments here. So uh, Drew says that, I'm not familiar who this person is. Maybe you know this. It says, uh, so let me pop it up here. Uh, Zana was a large uh, hair person in the Far East, Russia. So yes, hairy people are big in Russian lore. And then he also said, he said, uh, could he have been a giant human hybrid like a demigod? And you just said demigod. That's fascinating. See, a lot of people focus on race. But if you look at early literature, you notice that a lot of them say things like humans and animals were the same species in the Golden Age. It's very hard for us to accept or understand today, but I do believe that Golden Age was such a time of creation that animals were being created rapidly. And from human to animal to human back was very easy. You got humans with bear heads and dog heads throughout Russian literature. So I think we're all just one race. I still do today. And that includes the lizard people and the cold-blooded humans and the scaly humans and every color, you name it. So not really a hybrid of anything, aside from lineage, you know, intermarriage. It's about it. Interbreeding. Are you, do you think, um, did you just say that, do you think that animals are also, we're, we're also humans and animals or we're all uh, one race? There's no denying that we share what 90, Nine point something percent of DNA, isn't that correct? I'm just, I'm just curious about uh, is it wrong to eat meat then, or is it? Uh... <laughs> That's because I discussion. love steak. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, just because I think I have grasped my history doesn't mean I would become any kind of authority on ethics. <laughs> Let's uh, get back to the story real fast here. Okay. Yep. Here's the you know I like to collect these images of giants being attacked in history. There's plenty of them. In, a, in every country. This is in Mexico. That's Interesting. Mexico. This is a crazy picture. The Black Book of England. A very big clue that the English were very racist against giants. 
which they still are today. I mean, heck, Tolkien was racist against giants, constantly made them the bad guys, had to split them between ants, you know, giant ants, to create a good race of giants, you know, that were like trees, essentially. So all the literature is anti-giant coming from England. It's very rare when you see anything pro. Um, and like I said, that relates to directly what I was saying about the crusade. The Troy was created specifically three layers to uh, to draw giants and to attack. Uh, when uh, when the Trojan when the crusades occurred, uh, within ten years the giants eventually won. That was the other part. Um, a lot of people don't really know how they won. A lot of people say Trojan horse, which makes no sense and also has no literature references. Period, aside from the Iliad. So you really can't trust the Trojan horse. But you can assume it's a metaphor for something. Probably something non-physical that that people wrote down back then that we t failed to interpret today. Trojan horse means something within the um, the castle within the religion of Troy, Jerusalem, turned on itself and opened the gates. That's what it means. Why would this happen? Well, you got to understand, the crucifixion was an attempt to shut down Jesus in everyone's minds. It wasn't called Jesus yet, but you know everyone knows him as that now, and it worked briefly. And then it spectacularly backfired until even today. This story of the crucifixion did not go what they intended. They thought everyone would just hate on him because it happened, which they probably would today if somebody got crucified. They'd probably just hate on him and forget him. But because this was the first time it happened, because it was a giant, because it was so unique, it sort of really did shatter the foundations of deep state religion in Istanbul, and they had a revolution. After 10 years of fighting the giants, they were weary, and they said, we don't want to do this for the deep state anymore. We don't, they don't call them that, but for the church anymore because they don't give us any good reason. In fact, they started this whole thing by crucifying that guy in the first place. There was no reason to blah, 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 blah. Within 300 years in Scaligerian history, the Roman Empire falls to Christianity. In Eastern, it's the same thing, but it happens very quickly within 10 years. The Troy falls, the giants take over, and they say, all right, we're in charge now. Um, we're going to make sure that you're a vassal state. You're never going to resist us again. Um, creating a vassal state out of Istanbul was the creation of the first empire, the means of creating an empire. Before that, no one understood or had any reason or could ra couldn't rally any humans to do anything like that. But with this crusade, with this mobilization, you had the first vassal state in, in Istanbul. And after that, the creation of an empire. Why? Because Ari, the crusades, sorry, so the, the crusades, was that um, basically, was that Tartaria fighting as like revenge for what happened to Jesus? Is that what you're saying? Or is, the, okay. Okay. So the Crusades is coming from Tartaria attacking the, what did we call those people? Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to remember because uh, we, we had the Tartarian, uh, we've had the Tartaria talk in the mud floods and that was interesting as fuck. So yeah. like the deep state, I guess we could call it, right? Is yes, that, okay. So I was curious about uh, the religion of the Tartarians, and is that a religion that still exists? Um, we're talking about polytheism, and uh, and no, it doesn't. I mean, you basically look at every um, religion on Earth right now, and you'll notice that they've been sort of converted into monotheism, even the ones that have claims to polytheism, like, uh, like uh, Indian religion, Hinduism. Um, it's really known as Buddhism today. That's because Hinduism used to be very polytheistic. And then with the Jesuits um, in Sri Lanka, you basically have extreme focus on just Buddha to the point where everyone in the, not everyone, but you know, 90% of the 
uneducated population of the East today worships Buddha as a god, creator god, deity, because they don't know any better. So the effect of the Jesuits in creating monotheism on every religion on earth was very effective. Um, and without, without that influence, it'd be impossible for us to say right now what those religions used to be like. I'll tell you that they were definitely indigenous, meaning they sprung out of the ground. They weren't influenced by anything but the surroundings, the zodiac, the calendar, sun worship, all of these things were, were created at the same time in different locations without communication. And they generally represented a free religion, no one's authority of the sun, um, and no currency, no slavery, blah, blah, blah. You know, best, best of times. Um, so, like I said, I can't really tell you which religion they are, but um, today they're called pagans. You know, like the pagans are the ones who worship the old gods. Well, yeah, but um, there was a time when everyone did. They accept the sun as the savior, but they, they still worshiped all of the other gods. And the biggest evidence I have is days of the week. We still have seven days of the week. I have a feeling that Deep State would love to get rid of them if they could, you know, no no days of the week anymore, just a calendar. Because they still have the names of the old gods in them, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And um, and we did that for a reason. We didn't want any one of the gods to have superiority over the others. It's a very fair and balanced way of looking at, at life. It's also called Gnosticism. Because Gnosticism means knowing. It means we know what's happening. We know what the gods are and we see them. They're right over there. And agnosticism and also modern religion, monotheism, is more or less the belief of invisible or the non-belief of the invisible. In other words, we don't know. We just don't we just don't accept what the church is saying. So like I'm saying back in Gnosticism, people knew the reality. There was no religion, it was just science. Was just, religion and science was essentially the same thing. Interesting. Okay. Interesting. Okay. So the, uh, yeah, the Rus Horde Empire, as it's known by Fomenko, Russian Horde Empire, Horde meaning it's not uniform in any way. It's a bunch of vassal states that look very different, they act different, and as vassals, they get to keep their sovereignty and run things however they want. That was the first empire, and like I said, they're, they're more or less idyllic. There wasn't anything wrong yet. And over the next six centuries, this Rus Horde Empire would completely fall into corruption and ruin. Until 1775, it would finally completely fall apart. So before that, the first major event that caused the Rusford Empire to go from just a nice, like we're taking care of the mail and we're building, building aqueducts and stuff, into a slave empire that will come and kill and, and convert people, was the, um, the apocalypse of 1492. Now we got an interesting date there, 1492, right? That's... Um, that's supposed to be the Exodus date. So let me skip ahead to that here. Um, also, it's supposed to be Christopher Columbus. Right, yeah. So why did they choose this date? Well, just remember, as they could add a 1,000 years to the timeline, they could choose any date they want. They chose 1492 because that is the reverse of the date when they lost everything. They lost control of the world. In 1492, the deep state was going to take over, not the restored empire, not that their, their tool. That empire had, had been created on its own naturally, but... Over the, the centuries, the deep state would invade it from the center, convert its religion from the very top, and even infiltrate its royal family with foreigners to the point that the Russians over the last 400 years were pretty much convinced that they were being run by foreign aristocracy, the Romanovs, or uh, um, yeah, Tsar uh, um, um, Nicholas, for example. You know, those guys were no longer considered Russians. 
when when they went out. So the uh, were they were they still related to were they still related to the giants like the the sorry what the the Romanovs or was that uh, like a deep state takeover? Were the Romanovs still? Um, were they still Sasquatches? Like when did so the Tartarians? You're you're saying were these big, giant, hairy people? When did it? But over time, they started to shrink. Right. And are, do we still have those descendants? Like, are Russians more? Do they do they still have giant lineage, or were they kind of mostly killed off? Or they would say they did. But um, since we're gonna get into mm. the reset, and I hope we have enough time for that, we have another hour, right? Yeah. Um, so we'll get to reset. I'm going to tell you what happened to all the giants, how they're all wiped up out at once. Okay, great. And, uh, but, but yeah, until then, yeah, we had giants. If you look at Europe, uh, especially central, you'll see giant doors. I mean, really big doors in some of those cathedrals. Um, they open too. They're not just, you know, for decoration and they're to make sure that the giants could use the churches And the more West you go with the Gothic churches, they're like dark and foreboding and stuff. They have small doors and they, you know, sorry, giants aren't allowed. So you can tell there's some politics there. But before that, let's get let's do the apocalypse. So why do I say apocalypse? Well, um, according to Fumenko, the Russians do believe that the book of Revelation was uh, based on a chronicle that happened in this date. It's, a, it's an event that happened in the past. The apocalypse has already happened. And it wasn't necessarily the way that the book of Revelation says it went down by God's will, but it was essentially the same thing as everything the book of Revelation said happened, especially when it comes to the horsemen, and especially when it comes to um, to everyone being killed all at once. So how do we get into an apocalypse here on Earth long after the cataclysms ended, long after we had no reason to go to war anymore, especially something as crazy and insane as genocide, which benefits nobody? So let me back up just a little bit. In 1421, completely randomly, a meteorite falls on Yaroslav, which is right next to Istanbul. It's a huge piece of metal. It's um, it's reflected in the Bible, and it's um, eventually became the source of the Damascus blew out steel. This uh, steel essentially was so dense they mixed it into swords, and their swords became superior and cut through other people's swords and shields. 1421, the deep state had just had a weapon, complete land in their lap, that that would allow them to essentially start the next war. Now they just needed a reason. So in 1468. They basically started, uh, well, let me jump ahead here. Um, okay, so, so I, I skipped the reason, sorry. Um, in the 15th century, the early 15th century, um, Western Europe, which was which had been conquered by the Rusort Empire and sort of um, brought under their vassal uh, ship, uh, they were resisting. The, the, the beginning of the Reformation, the beginning of the European schism was happening. And in places like... Um, um, Mount Vesuvius was that one Roman town there. You'll see all these phallic um, statues in that in that old Roman town. Not really Roman, but um, that those phallic statues are real. That, that that really was a brothel. And yeah, they were made out of huge stone because they're quite proud of their orgies back then. Western Europe, they did orgies based on Dionysus tradition, that essentially was used to be a lot more common back in the Exodus days. And they're just bringing it out in the open. They're they're showing it on the streets as an attempt to resist the, the sort of um, um, austere, stoic attitude of the Eastern conquerors who came in and said, you know, you guys can do with less. And um, 
and they don't be so wasteful, et cetera. So they decided to, since, since they're confined by Eastern rules, to express themselves in ways that weren't forbidden, and that was orgies. The Easterners had no way of shutting that down, and they're sort of, they're, they're, um, their crusaders, their knights, were sort of, um, you know, um, sort. Uh, it wasn't good for them to see because they they stopped wanting to be crusaders. They don't want to join the freaking orgies. So, you know what I'm saying? There's bad influence on these. So eventually, um, they they had this good reason to attack Western Europe, and that was the outbreak of venereal disease. It only took about 30 or 40 years for Western Europe to develop them and to start spreading east to cause enough problems for the Easterners to say, wow, we need to wipe these people out or else we're going to die. And if you don't believe me that humans can be rallied into that kind of mentality, just look at the last two years of our history right now. You can see that people definitely can be scared into going into this kind of war over disease. That was the nature of the revelation, oh, sorry, of the apocalypse. In 1486, they announced their plans and they did so in, um, you know, in public. They, they, they sent letters to seven major churches in Asia. And they said, we are going to come and kill all of you. And the only ones who are going to leave are the ones who are not diseased. And the only reason you wouldn't be diseased is because God is protecting you or you've been loyal to our religion or whatever you want to call it. So <clears throat> the this crusade happens, another crusade, apocalyptic crusade. And it is so bad that it wipes out a huge amount of Western Europe. It's also known as the Ottoman invasion. And after, <clears throat> after the dust settles on this, a terrible war, 1492, everything changed. The, the religion of the West stopped being promiscuous. They, they dropped all of their orgy stuff and became extremely prude and, um, and, and, and kind of talk about sex was forbidden. That attitude has lasted into modern day in the West. In the East, their religion was shattered. They went from a polytheistic, a polytheistic um, eclectic religion into, into a, a monotheism. They adopted monotheism they connected uh, Andronicus Christ to the King David lineage. They said he must be a King David's lineage because he's so awesome. The priests um, essentially agreed with themselves that that was the case and combined the deep state religion with Christianity in that moment, which it was not connected before. They were worshiping at the time Zeus and Dionysus uh, since the fall of Egypt. And with um, after about 200 years of ignoring uh, Eastern religion, uh, the Western uh, West, the Western priests accepted Jesus by a different name. They put J on there because in Latin they have the letter J. And for the 200 years where they were not writing his name down because they refused to acknowledge him in all the chronicles, they put the letter I. They always saw I and then the year of the date. And a lot of people have pointed out, and I think I have that picture down here, that this was the trick used in modern time to hide uh, the thousand years, the phantom thousand years. Where the heck is that picture? Okay, well, this one will do. No audio. So um, right here you see um, that they may have added, they may have uh, used this letter I as the year thousand in order to add the thousand um, to the timeline. When actually I meant uh, Jesus, it meant um, the Zeus. And Zeus, like I said, was the old savior. So Zeus was now going to be replaced by Jesus, Yehuda, Joshua, or as we know him today, Jesus. Um, also, G Joshua was yet another savior. That was Venus. Venus had come and, and ended the Exodus or caused the Exodus event. That was a 
savior the first time, Mars later on was a savior. So you see that the deep state worshiped every every one of these events as the last savior and they expected the next savior event to happen because it kind of made sense. So anyway, um, going back to the timeline. Any questions so far? Uh, little ones. Uh, I would, well, actually just things to pointing out. Um, the connection of Jesus and Zeus, Jesus. Right. That's really fascinating. That's really interesting. Um, Jesus. Uh, we had an, we had another couple comments here. Uh, so this is from Drew. You're missing the point. He says, even Aboriginal Lord picks the large hairy man or giants as bad. They hunt and eat people. So do you think that was uh, propaganda from the deep state trying to like tour, like turn uh, people against the giants? Or do you think that there were actual issues with maybe some of these giants? Do you think that there were was cannibalism? Because I've definitely heard that too uh, from like Native American lore that some of these guys were full on cannibals. What are your thoughts on that? You think there was well, different groups of them or? I definitely think it's propaganda, but um, mm. more to the point, it represents the schism between small and large people. We don't think much about fighting giants anymore because there aren't any, but if we did, if we really thought long and hard about it, what we would see is that humans would feel constantly insecure and threatened by the existence of giants alone. They don't have to actually have any evidence of them being eaten, eating smaller humans or anything like that. And at the same time, there are such events as the Crusades, which might have actually seen giants so enraged, you know, lit on fire, shot by arrows, that they will use their mouth as a weapon and they will eat humans. Or maybe it goes farther beyond that. Maybe they, there are a tribe out there that was straight up cannibal, like you said. But the ultimate point I would make is that it's extremely rare for humans to eat other humans. And there's just no reason to expect that as a race of giants that they would do that. It would have to be a political or tribal thing. And okay. And then uh, Drew also wrote, he says, Nate, I think you're on to something. Um, especially with the RH negative blood and the Neanderthal. I need to slow down when I read. Neanderthal ancestry in Western Europe, uh, Western Europeans and the uh, Denisovian in East Asian. So I think that was referring to what I was talking about, maybe giants interbreeding and shrinking and still having some of that bloodline in them. Right. Absolutely. Interesting. Um, okay. But just scaling down is easy. They also kind of bred out the hair, which you can see with dogs is so easy to do. I mean, even cats. <laughs> My brother-in-law, he's Danish and they have not bred out the hair on that guy. He's a, he's a fur ball. Wow. <laughs> the hair on his back, man, it's thick. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And he's six foot four, so he's a big hairy giant. Yeah, absolutely. It's in our DNA, all of us. So, uh, yeah. So this this moment, um, which I was kind of writing about today, is kind of really hard to understand because this is when disputes against Jews start officially in history, and and that's when you have this record of last 400 years, Jews saying that we've been persecuted and stuff. And, you know, I was born and raised Jewish, so I've I've heard it all. Um, I wanted to get at at the heart of why, you know? It's like... No one ever bothered to tell me why. So now I'm kind of I'm kind of here in this moment where the disputes start, and I'm looking at at the possibilities of why. The biggest reason, of course, the biggest obvious reason, is that when the Rusord Empire conquered all of its vassal states over 200 years, and then became corrupt in the 1492 Exodus event, reverse Exodus event, um, <clears throat> they um, they started saying you know, we're going to charge money for like everything. It's not just a form of trade between regions, like a federalism. It's, it's going to be 
um, you know, we, we want currency exchange, we want um, uh, banks, and we want, um, you know, money changers that represent, that have the authority of the empire. We're going to put the coins, going to put the empire's face on the coin. We're going to put an eagle on the coin, two-headed eagle pointing in two directions, showing that we own both sides of the planet right now, East, West, America, Asia, you name it, two-headed eagle. Um, in modern times, when America stole all this history, we kind of had to admit we don't own the East anymore and became one-headed eagle, but we still have the face of our emperor, who is um, essentially our president, and there is no real difference between how they set up the presidency or the emperorship. Same kind of democracy in the in the, in the uh, Roman Empire, the alleged Roman Empire, and the same sort of democracy existed in the Rusort Empire. The only exception was that there was an aristocracy also. The aristocracy could not be voted on or changed, but they were sort of ruled out of the picture and isolated. You hear constant stories about the czars being poisoned, the kids dying all the time, and can't have any offspring, and, uh, and the huge disputes in the family. The, the uh, Old Testament has the Esther story um, of Purim. Esther comes directly out of this Russian history as uh, on the Jews' side, trying to convince the emperor to kill all of the other guys, thinking that they want to kill all the Jews. And this just ugly period happens where they, where a lot of them die on both sides. So what are the Jews? What, why does that name even exist? Um, you know, from name Yehuda, right? They're the ones that believe in God and so forth. But I thought everyone does, right? So they can't just claim to be the only ones that believe in God. There has to be something that really defines Jews in history. And that is the combination of priesthood and banking, finances. You combine those two things, you claim the authority of God and you issue coins. Essentially, you are the Jews of history. They appeared in the Egyptian empire and then they appeared in um, in essentially the Roman empire, which is really the Roostward empire. Within the first hundred years, they really, you can see them, they didn't matter. They're just in the background, religious and doing money. But after this 1492 date, money started to matter. There's overpopulation, scarcity of food and you name it. And the same people who represent the religion represent the money and it became a conflict of interest. So the disputes against them began at that point. And people would say, you know, we don't think you really have the authority. This, by the way, is a part of the timeline. I got it right still. There's so much stuff going on here, but I got kind of a timeline going. Um, yeah, Messianic Jews, Judaism didn't even happen until um, 1670 or in, or in a, a Scaligerian timeline in the 18th century. Um, and that's when the Jews uh, <clears throat> started looking for the next savior or, or fighting over the savior. Before then, they didn't talk like that. They're just in charge of the empire, the vassal states. They just ran things. They did the money, of course, but they also did a uh, communication, you know, the mail and and food, big time food. Uh, after this spread of disease, they got on top of uh, the uh, the um, exchange of food, selling of food, and they said, no, we got to check all the food now. We're going to create kashrut law, and we're going to say, you know, not, not only are we verifying everything, but you can't even sell certain things anymore, like pigs, like forget about it. Pigs were a huge problem in the um, in the apocalyptic uh, disease spread. So the Jews basically became in charge of food. Like I said, it goes so far beyond religion and finances, and it's almost every matter of life. And, and, and so they didn't look like they look today at all. They look like Muslims. They had turbans and stuff. And they didn't look like they did in the Catholic Church, which started with the, um, with the French and the Spanish during King Louis' time. That's when they start putting on the big red robes and they put the kippahs on like the Jews did, but it still didn't look like Jews yet. And the modern Jews didn't look like they did today until literally um, until after the Napoleonic Wars, 
when Russia was invaded by Napoleon and that entire region broke apart. So let me get into that time because that's when that's when we get close to the reset. Um, I don't have the reset on here, but let me switch over to mud flood. So yeah, my theory, the mud flood energetic event basically is that in 1812, this religious schism that I've been talking about uh, led up to yet another crusade, another big um, rallying of humans for religious purposes in Europe and Asia um, that ended up being so devastating that it basically scarred the surface of Earth and caused the Great Reset. The greatest reset, meaning um, people think that in the 19th century, some sort of a mud flood event happened that was so devastating that entire regions were buried, you know, 10, 20 feet with mud, you know, castles, houses, you name it, all parts of the planet. Uh, the mud flood theory is researched separately. Um, you can go to Stolen History, um, org, for example, see a bunch of people talking about it, mostly control off agents, but no one answers the question, why did it happen? And looking at this history um, and looking at the literature of the history, I noticed all kinds of, of facts that were sort of popping out at me. Uh, the 15th century up to the 18th century was an advanced time. People were inventing every technology that you can imagine, but they weren't trying to control it yet. And there was no usury and there was no Thomas Edison. There was no meters. And with that kind of environment, basically, you didn't need certain things. You didn't need computers. You didn't need um, uh, videotape recorders and audio tape because you can use advanced stuff like crystals. And it's just so much better. And you just tune the crystal to different frequency and have infinite index, infinite data, infinite capacity. Things were way better back then. So the, these, this period of technology, which humans did enjoy, free energy, you can look at the old cities, you can see that they were constructed in a way that shared energy between the buildings, red brick or other types of bit brick, and that they shared uh, energy through water canals and so forth, and the cities were light. The, the, the most brightest city on earth was France, City of Lights as it was called, and it was a center of technology. And so with King Louis' reign, with the expansion of the Jesuits all over the planet, trying to convert everyone to monotheism, and eventually into the French Revolution and the Napoleonic Wars, France had really advanced technology. They had the best stuff that could be invented. And they did so because the deep state was attempting to take advantage of suppressed technology to, um, to win another war. Every time they won a war, they got control of Earth. And it was time for, um, since the Russian Horde Empire was falling, 1775, on its own, it was going to create a power vacuum that somebody has to fill. And so the, and so the uh, French under Louis, they created this plan to invade Russia. Jesuits had always planned to invade Russia in a counter crusade. And with, um, with the expansion of the Jesuits, they went all over the world and they got all kinds of allies. They went to Egypt and they got a bunch of black slaves that they found there and they brought them to France, which is why France has black people immigrating there early um, from Africa, from Egypt. And, uh, and essentially this, this invasion of Russia was planned. But then the, the, the plan was so hard on the French that they were given being, their rights were being stripped away. They were being invaded by immigrants. They had no way to hold on to their land and their sovereignty that they went into a French revolution. Deep State saw this French revolution coming. And as they always do, they split the, um, the opponents in half and created their own controlled opposition known as the Reign of Terror, which you notice it's always capitalized in all history books, Reign of Terror, because this was the first terrorism in history. 
as a lot of conspiracy theorists believe terrorism is usually false flag and fake, it was here too. The reign of terror was completely fake. It was the rich people hiring um, the poor people to kill the other half of the poor people. That's what they always do. And the smarter way to do that was to um, to fake go after the rich people. The so the rich people, the elite, mostly associated with the, the Catholic Church, that they called themselves the Council of Elders. These guys came up with this reign of terror plan to control the French Revolution and its outcome, which, which they was successful. Their outcome to control it worked. And um, and they had the the uh, terrorists of the French Revolution at guillotine all of their enemies in their upper class elite circles. It was just so smart, you know, for them to do and it worked and the French were taken in, they didn't know any better. And so the French Revolution ends, but they haven't solved the main problem is the power vacuum of Europe. Uh, Tsar Alexander declares himself Europe of er, emperor of all of Europe and Asia. And now it's like, um, oh great, the French are like, now he's our freaking emperor. Now, like, after we lost our revolution, this is terrible. And this, this schism of the French they got so angry, they started burning churches down during the revolution and after. Um, they created the first, essentially, the atheistic revolution in our modern history. Atheistic meaning they absolutely want to tear down the church, the church's authority, remove them from power, and replace it with a republic, the first republic. Um, in order to do this, they needed someone from the top, and eventually they convinced Napoleon to do it. They really just needed one person, kind of like how in modern day the army just needed Trump, one person. Um, from the upper elite circles, from that deep state where we cannot venture. And that was Napoleon, totally raised in the deep state, born and raised for one thing. He's going to go invade Russia and lead an army there someday. And uh, he's just like, okay, well, um, sure, I'll declare myself emperor, um, and I'll get the church's authority, and then we will have to invade Russia, because we can't let that czar stay, otherwise it'll be a battle of influence for 100 years. So they um, came up with a plan to to continue the uh, the Jesuit invasion of uh, of uh, Russia, but before Napoleon did that, the influence of the fresh French Revolution had had hit so deep into their belief system that they all became atheists. Nobody could take the church seriously anymore. And in their regions, where all the Jesuits had expanded to over hundreds of years, Egypt, Sri Lanka, they went to those places and they said, "Hey, we were in charge of you up till now. Here's a little secret, you know." that god's not real we came and we told you all this stuff here's your real stuff by the way napoleon completely ruined the plan i have a lot of evidence of this it's just that historians don't accept any of it the napoleonic wars are completely completely um overlooked and underplayed and a lot of people research them and say that they're completely fictional what you see in the napoleonic wars with all of the um the battles all of the uh the, the troop movements you'll notice that they're constantly using um, key numbers. They're always using the number 19, the number 11. Well, I went too far. But uh, let's see if it's down here. Oh, yeah, here we go, right here. Sorry, one second. Okay, so here's a map of the Napoleonic Wars over time and his crazy loss of 500,000 people as he invaded Russia. Um, other people than me have pointed out that this is, has to be a lie because these numbers are fake. The story makes no sense on its head. And there's a lot of other unanswered questions here. Uh, one question is, why did all of the maps change from the 18th century to the 19th century? It looks like after this Napoleonic War, the earth looked different. We see um, like the Grand Canyon starts showing up on the maps where it wasn't there before. We see the Himalayan mountains, which weren't there. We see the island of California, 
is no longer an island. It's somehow merged or fused into the continent of America. Um, let's see if I can show some of those pictures down here. And then we see mud flood in all places of the world. We also see neoclassic architecture everywhere in the world. The explanation for neoclassic architecture is that in the 18th century, due to the so-called um, Renaissance, everyone on earth started building all these buildings everywhere, everywhere on earth, like even in Melbourne and people in places that were at war with each other um, with no explanation. And then even more no explanation in the 19th century, official history says that we lost all of the technology and ability to build these buildings, started building them differently using brick or wood. By the way, these buildings were fireproof, energetic, they're way safer. Um, that movie Ghostbusters points out that, you know, it must've been a genius that built these designs because they seem to harness energy. Yes, they do. In a lightning storm, in a devastating cataclysm, this would be the best place to be, which is why they were all built by the Rusword Empire under the instruction of the priests, because they remember the old cataclysms. They just want to make sure if there was ever, say, God's wrath in the future, that these buildings would be prepared for them. And it's why they have these shapes. A lot of them have metal antennas right there at the top. So something happens. Um, these stars appeared on our planet. Um, the Electric Universe people researched it and say that it was some kind of secondary discharge that looked like these curves of plasma that hit these regions and starred them. They're convinced this happened. They looked at Utah, and I've been in these places too. You, just, you drive through Utah and you'll see that all of the terrain, all of the terrain of Utah is not explained by geophysics at all. It's not going to be subjection, subjection causing a mountain. It's not going to be a volcano. These areas look melted. Um, let me actually pull up a video that I just got today. And it is, nope, bear with me. No worries. All right. Okay. Nope, that's just a neoclassic architecture. Okay, that's mud flood. There's another video I just found today I'm really impressed by. And it was showing all of the melted regions at once. Wow, not gonna work. Okay, I'm just gonna pull up the file. Um, can you see this video? Let me see. Man, things are feeling me right now. Hold on. All right, can you see this video? Okay, that's, okay, there we go. I do not see it, no. Uh, maybe it, you could probably, I think I could share multiple. Here. Give me one second, I'm gonna try one more trick and then I'll give up. Okay. Uh, no, that wasn't right at all. Boom. All right, check us out. Okay. So, uh, it's a video I found today. And it was just saying that, take a look at all this architecture. I mean, it looks melted, right? It looks like these um, rocks had sort of fused and grown over them, over the mountain. Oh, sorry, over the structures. Um, as opposed to somebody going into these mountains and just carving these structures out. So again, this is someone else um, making this connection, but you can easily make this connection if you look at any one of these sites, like, like I said, just Utah alone has a bunch of locations that there is no explanation. Um, you'll, find exp uh, you'll find them online, but you'll still notice that they're really sort of um, uh, spurious. The explanations will be, say, 
there used to be an ancient ocean bed five you know billion you know sorry my old zero is 4.8 yeah three billion years ago ancient ocean bed in this region and it created stalagmites and then the ocean went away and then subduction made a mountain i mean crazy explanations but you have to add in billion years and they still don't really explain how they got you know that way so that those are the buildings but let me uh, point out that it's also that does seem the way the elite explain things to us that don't make sense they just attack on a few zeros and they say you know that's the explanation exactly. therefore something outrageous happened but because it happened billion years ago yep yeah yeah absolutely use my search here because yeah, it's the dendritic patterns that are created by the scarring that are most apparent. Let me see if I can find a better one. Scar. And. Oh, here we go. So, this electric universe again pointing out that these are dendritic patterns. You know, it's not something that water or rainfall or anything can make, that they represent energetic peaks and valleys. And, and only lightning scarring would be able to do that. So they say it's happened in the ancient past. And I say, well, we have to accept the possibility that this could have happened in the mud flood event because it's part of a, it's part of a much bigger explanation of, of, you know, of everything else, not just one thing. You gotta look at everything at once. So okay, let's get back to the event. Okay, here's a picture of uh, California as it used to appear in maps, clearly an island, clearly it's small islands inside and, San Francisco was a port in, uh, in more inland. Very cool stuff. So yeah, Napoleonic Wars. So what happens? Napoleon um, brings 500,000 troops into Russia and loses all of them. He finds Moscow um, Kremlin burnt to the ground before he arrives, which is apparently some kind of strategy that makes him lose the war. I don't get it at all. Um, if you're in an army, you know how to provision yourself. You don't move into regions where you starve or, you, you know, or anything like that. Um, these guys, if we're to believe Scaldrian history, marched across the Alps. It was very rugged, apparently. French. That is kind of a crazy thing to do, to march your army, I guess, during winter, where you're going to freeze to death and not bring enough food with you, and you're just hoping to ransack a city, and like that's what you're counting on to like eat that day? That right. seems kind of crazy. Right. So let's plug in something else to this 1812 weird war that happened in Asia. The War of 1812 here in America, there was another war at the exact same time. Historians insist that it's a different war, but how could it be? Um, England was involved in both. Russia was involved in both. Um, <clears throat> essentially, here, here's a map. Um, everything split between the war, between the worlds. And I uh, got Western Europe, Eastern Europe, Siberia. Uh, you got Portugal versus Spain. You know, everything was split. And um, <clears throat> So is the blue representing the Rus horde and... Yes. What? It, okay, gotcha. Our Alexander, and the red representing um, emperor. Um, and the gray emperor. was neutral. Uh, yes. In that picture, okay. But something interesting happened right here in uh, Washington D.C. in 1812. War, the White House burns to the ground. Um, you know, it's like, why did that happen? Oh, it's because the official history was. Oh, come on, where's the White House? There it is. It's because the British crossed the ocean and randomly burned the house down. Okay, is that, that really what happened? It's very unlikely for the British to have been able to get that deep. And it's extremely unlikely for them to want to burn down a church because they brought the churches there in the first place. Those are their churches. So who burned the churches down is a big phobic 
uh, issue in history. The historians will not accept that churches could have ever been burned down by an atheistic local population, because of course this explanation goes against the church's authority and the church is mostly in charge of history. So for that simple reason, the, no one, not, no one of scholagerian history, of modern history, any kind of expert in history will accept that the White House was burned to the ground by atheists who were upset at the church's authority, nor will they accept that the French were the ones that burned the Kremlin down. But how do I know the French did the, burn the Kremlin down? Because they were finishing a European schism that had started in the 12th century with the Trojan War, with the Crusades. And that schism was so important that it ruined everyone's lives in Europe and Asia for hundreds of years, constant warfare and, and all the stuff I mentioned. And they wanted an end to it. They didn't want the church schism to be there anymore. They thought maybe if we can just burn all their churches, then it'll just be us. And maybe if we're atheists, then we'll do this right. There's all kinds of really idyllic French revolution stuff. And they, they, they changed everything. They created their own calendar. I recommend you check out the French Republic calendar. It's very beautiful based on the seasons. They had this whole other world ready to go. It lasted 10 years. Napoleon was defeated. One other thing that I believe Napoleon did, and this is not controversial, something people do accept, was that he defaced the Sphinx. He knocked the nose off of it. But nobody understands why he would do that, or his, or his army would do that. Again, very schism, kind of dubious for historians, territory they do not venture into. But just look on its face. The Sphinx was the religious symbol of Egypt. And the Jesuits had built it, yes they did, in order to say God is back. And look, he's right there. He's all back together. That's Osiris. Head, nose, and, and beard, Mars. Osiris is back, and we are the authority of Osiris. So by Napoleon knocking down that nose, did something very significant. He said, I'm not going to destroy the god idol, because our French army is still very superstitious, which is very funny because they're also atheistic. But I'm going to knock the nose and the beard off because that puts it back where it is today. Osiris, representing Saturn, is often in the distance. In in the literature, Greek, Roman, uh, Kronos, you name it, he's gone. He's not here anymore. And all of his children are also gone. Mars and, and Venus are gone. So they're separate parts. And Napoleon separated those parts out by doing that. It's very uh, symbolic um, to the to the black slaves of Egypt. And they basically said, okay, you know, uh, this guy has freed us. Napoleon has freed the slaves of Egypt. He freed the uh, the uh, the British and the colonies in uh, America. All those colonies that the Rusford Empire had um, originally created in America. He freed the uh, Jesuit. Sorry, he freed the um, the Hindus in Sri Lanka. They they told them straight up, Buddha's Buddha's is not your god over there. You have this pantheon. You respect it. To this day, the uh, Asians in that region do not accept Buddha that well. You find Statues of Buddha all over the ground, broken, especially in the Vietnam War. Who was the most recent people to blow up a Buddha statue? The Afghanistan's uh, 1999. Check that video out. The Afghanistan's blow up this huge Buddha statue that was carved into a mountain. And it's undoubtedly the reason why we went to war with them in 9-11, uh, two years later. Um, they were saying, saying a message to the world. Buddha is not our God. We are something else. Um, everyone said, oh, they, they, they want Islam, right? I'm like, no, they're not Islam either. They want something else. They, they don't like these Western Jesuit religions um, influencing their indigenous religions. They're constantly fighting that war, and they're still fighting it today. So you can see throughout Asia, throughout the Jesuit um, expansion, that Napoleon did have something to do with four different religious 
icons in those regions in a very significant way. And he put his own religious icon up. He created a, um, not him really, it's all the French people, they're all together in this huge collective coming up with this, all these new ideas. They're going to make this huge statue of an Egyptian woman um, carrying a, a torch. And she's going to, and again, it's going to be set up across the Nile River. They're going to create um, the Suez Canal. And it's going to welcome all of the ships from the east into the west. It was a peace mission. It was a peace statue. It had no real religious significance. Um, it, you know, it was just uh, symbolic. Guess what? Um, he never got to build it because he lost the war. And they moved the statue to New York, put blindfold on it, and it means something entirely different now. That the Statue of Liberty means something else entirely. But no doubt, it was created by Napoleon. It was his revolution, his idea. And it was meant for Egypt and not America. So enough of that. What happened with the Napoleonic War, in my opinion, is that they, in they inevitably uh, did invade Russia. They, they must have. There has to, they have to have. The, the only reason that I can give is because at the time, the Rusward Empire expanded all the way out to Siberia, to Tataria. Um, it was much bigger then. And right now, today, um, all of that Asian region is a wasteland. Here's Tatari map. Uh, you can see um, a lot of the main stuff was up here in the in the top right, and down here on the middle, you can see the, the vassal states. Each vassal state represents a big square kind of glob, because they represent a certain distance from one of the main gates, and then a certain distance to the next main gate, giving security to the travelers, gypsies, and so forth. But in main Tataria, it's just a big, wide open, free land with a lot of beautiful architecture and no money, no usury. They're, they had a wall for a reason. They didn't want that European stuff spreading into Tataria. And they also own a great deal of Western America, which... So I just want to clarify something yeah. real fast. So Napoleon represents an entirely different wing, right? So he was at war with uh, the Cabal and with Tartaria. Yes, absolutely. With both. Okay. So that was probably his biggest mistake was declaring war on both like he almost guaranteed a defeat huh well that's a good point it's just how did he lose that's a big question how he lose mm -hmm. according to his history he stupidly marched his army into um russia and, and in a stupid way lost all of them um and then after he fell from power after the coalition the the fifth no sixth coalition took him out they put him on an island where he then escapes and has this this meaningless waterloo battle after he takes power for 100 years. Waterloo, has been pointed out by other people, is completely made up. It's, it's not a real battle. It, it has no significance. They just wanted to say that was the reason he lost because they can't explain the other one. The Russian failure makes no sense, no sense, no sense at all, period. So we can just be smart here and say, hey, you know, that's not the history. Something else happened in this time, and it's been completely covered up, covered up to the point that things like mud flood-wise have been covered up. You know, that degree of... of, of uh, evidence has remained and it's it, there is there is no other explanation yet no one has given one yet aside from some kind of worldwide event that happened on that date so the date's exactly the same date as the end of the 1812 war and people mostly research the the mud flood as a 40-year event went from 1812 to around 1850s and 60s and, and, and around the 1860s boom people start moving around again and you get a civil war right away but before that in the, in the in the 40 years before the Civil War, um, you didn't have any wars. There's a big gap there. 
So that 40-year gap, basically, well, there might have been a small war, but not in America. That gap is, is very significant. That 40 years, um, that may actually be the same 40 years in the Bible, in the, the Exodus story. It's the deliverance story, which is not one time in history. It's over and over the deliverance story. Happened in the Dark Ages, the you know, wandering desert and so forth. But it happened. It may have happened in modern times. And if um, if this mud flood period of 40 years is the same 40-year period that made it into the modern Bible, then the deliverance story essentially is the story of whoever caused this mud flood event, resetting society, saying, I choose you, you, and you, you loyal people and so forth. Do what I say, and I will give you cargo, manna. I will drop stuff to you, and I will um, keep you alive. So in this century, we see cargo cults, the first ones. And the cargo cults are so significant that they sort of kept their history going today. Well, there's kind of problems today. Computer, why would you play that? Video stop loading. Yeah, try again. Someone's blocking me. Well, I want to show one video of people who do a dance today of spinning around, looking at the sky. Oh, okay. Get the right video here. Yeah, cargo cults. No, I forget that video. Okay, so here's a better one. So these guys look at the sky and they do their worship. Um, in, in a lot of the in the Turkey. Um, ones in the video I was trying to show, uh, they spin around and they look up in the air. That's what they do. Um, so these represent cargo cults, people that are basically waiting for the next cargo delivery. And these are regions that are not habitable. And the reset cities, for example, are covered with, uh, oh, let's see, Dang it. They're, they're not livable because um, every, like you can't travel in them. The road's been cut off, it, tracks, you name it do not work anymore. So nobody lives in cities after this reset event. They basically, um, they just live where they where they could find shelter. And then essentially, whoever caused this event found them and delivered them to a promised land. Now, why is it promised? It's because um, they said, if you continue to do what we tell you to do, you worship us, essentially, then we will eventually deliver you. And if you don't, then you're going to die, essentially. So in the in the Exodus story, after they leave Egypt, uh, we see how the Israelites acted towards each other. They start to ex exclude the ones who are no longer loyal. They start to become disobedient um, with their religion and, and have to like kill each other, put them back in their place. And all this time, they're, they're sort of relying on this God to deliver them supplies. At, at the end of the Exodus story, the, um, the ones who are loyal to God end up slaughtering like 90% of the other Jews who, who weren't. So, so all I'm saying is this is a metaphorical story for an event that constantly happened over and over in our society. It's probably happening right now somewhere, like in Africa, where people are, are, are so low in resources, but somebody has the keys to those resources, and they say, I want you to worship me. So anyway, the mud flood event does have a lot of this sort of resetting of civilization. And after the 19th, after the 19th century, in modern time, you got people who really, really believe in God's authority, that he really does mess with human affairs, and if that we piss him off, he will actually come and show up again and punish us. So in this event where people saw the sky open up and rip in half, change color, they saw things shoot from the sky and burn uh, the, the airships and so forth that existed at the time. Um, and they saw this blood rain fall from the sky, blood because it's the color of mud. And, and it's very unique. 
uh, compared to normal rain. Uh, the blood, blood rain phenomenon was researched throughout the 19th and 20th centuries until it eventually died away. There's so much dust in the atmosphere that it took many years for it to actually, all of it to fall to the ground. So th those are the, the facts we have there. So the, the, the implication here is that um, <clears throat> they wanted this event to look like God. They didn't want this, they want to use advanced technology. The, the people who did this, they, they wanted to, after this is over, to hide their technologies. For if I want to say that wasn't technology, that it was nothing more than the wrath of God. So who am I talking about? I'm talking about people on Mars. And why am I, why Martians? Because um, <clears throat> a lot of literature shows that we've had humans living on Mars since the origin stories, like I mentioned, Atlantis, and that they still live there today. And that they can, and that they, there's today's and their, their, um, Canals have been observed in the 19th century, you know, right on the timeline that we're talking about. So if the humans on Mars hit us with a weapon, they would have had the ability to carve out any region they want strategically in order to sort of um, and start, sort of control the outcome. They're not going to be random about it. They're going to make sure that all makes sense. Like the uh, Bering Strait, for example, that used to connect the Rusort Empire. It used to be one big empire because they crossed that strait all the time. Now the strait's gone, and scientists tell us that it was never rock, it was ice. But more likely, since it appears in old maps as rock, the Bering Strait was carved out in this event and no longer appears today for the purposes of making sure that the Roosevelt Empire would never come back, <clears throat> would never restore itself as the main threat of the deep state. Here's uh, the Simpsons. They showed this laser. You know, They showed this one episode, Halloween episode, where America gets um, taken over by um, the two-party system, the Democrats and Republicans both being aliens, like, ooh, they got us there. And what they do, they enslave Earth, and they build a laser, and they point it to another planet. That's what they showed in this show. And like so much other things that they show us, that really doesn't make sense to us, this would qualify, could qualify as predictive programming, meaning they're telling us literally, this is fiction. Do not believe in this. You saw it in a cartoon and you laughed. It's not real. So take predictive programming as yet another clue that they're probably trying to to cover this up. It's not the only laser that appears in fiction. Go watch Flash Gordon. You'll see that they bend over the script backwards in order to show a laser being fired from Mars. Um, yeah, I've got a lot of old paintings of blood rain, of rocks falling from the sky. In particular, you see the humans and animals dying. That's because the electromagnetic field of the Earth was shaken significantly by this event. It's like when you put too much stuff in your blood and you, and you have a stroke, it's like you're losing your energy. So um, since the electromagnetic field keeps us alive as humans, losing it makes us get really sick. And all this bad stuff happens, leprosy and so forth, we get really, even zombies come out. And um, the giants, they suffered the most because they require the most energy. So they sort of got taken out by the health of it. But there was this other reason. Um, they were so big and they couldn't hide from the lightning strikes. So we have giant mounds all over America and in other places in the world. These giant mounds were all erased by the Smithsonian Museum. They literally bulldozed every single one that they found and they created museums full of what they call dinosaur bones. Um, they say the dinosaur bones are fossilized and that they're a million years old, 65 million or greater. But the, um, Sapphire Project and many other projects have proven that fossilization can occur in the lab as a result of electricity, as, as electric current and electric strike. So what we see in petrified forests and 
petrified bones could have happened all at once in one event. It did not necessarily take millions of years. Ari, what are your thoughts real fast? Sorry, just asking. What are your thoughts on dinosaurs? Real, not real, bones they find from giants or actually from some weird giant lizards? Uh, definitely most of them for giants. And the ones that are from anything that we think are, are dinosaurs that qualify as that kind of thing, I'll say more in the sauropod, sauropod category, you know, like um, the uh, Loch Ness Monster. Okay. Uh, those sauropods, they exist for sure. Now, T-Rex, no, it does not exist. Um, a lot of people point out they, they can't even stand up straight, can't hunt, they would they would starve. Um, <clears throat> they're, just, uh, they're just creatures that they came up with when they found all these bones all at once to say, hey, look at how cool these dinosaurs were. They're, they're, they're exotic, and, and they try to get kids interested. The biggest example is a stegosaurus. You just think about a stegosaurus, you understand that it would be impossible for them to breed. They cannot mate. Stegosauruses cannot mate, cannot get on top of each other. So simple things like that, contradictions like that, disprove a, a, a big swath category of dinosaurs. All the ones. Also, they would be so heavy. Yeah. That that was something that someone was pointing out. It was like they're supposed to be the size of like a blue whale, and like these whales, they can't even breathe because they they're so heavy when they come on land that they can't. Exactly. Breathe. Yeah. So sauropods are an exception because they can go in the water and mate in the water, and then can come back on the ocean or the land and eat. Yeah. So yeah, they existed. Um, this is a clip here, very common to find clips like this. People saying, you know, this is such a great tragedy that somebody went and destroyed these uh, these mounds. They never should have done that. Yeah, they're just covering up evidence. These giants used to exist. One of the few mounds that still exists is the Serpent Mound. And why does it exist? Because it-, it That's so life. cool looking. Where Where is that, Ari? Oh, that's right here in Georgia. That's where I live. That's not beautiful. not too far from it. I haven't visited yet. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of suspicious about this one, the one that they left. First of all, why they leave one. Second of all, why yeah. is it like a snake? Third of all, why is it in the direction of the zodiacs? Why is it pointing to zodiac directions on Earth? Um, yeah. Maybe they're trying to imply that these giants have zodiac religion. I think that's very, very dubious. It doesn't really matter. But we don't, we don't find any mounds left over. These are definitely giant mounds. And the uh, the official story is that they were seven feet in length. You know, that, that that's how they're giants. But more realistically, they're much bigger than that. And in the Mormon uh, Bible, in the uh, Book of Mormon, uh, they're described as extremely big, like we're the cricket size to them, that kind of thing. So I believe that they're all size, all scales of giants, big ones, small ones. You got tall tails, right? Tall tails of uh, Babe the Blue Ox and uh, whatever the guy's name was. You know, giants in America going around chopping down trees. Paul Bunyan. Paul Bunyan, thank you. Yeah, I they grew up near animals. a giant statue of Paul Bunyan. So yeah, exactly. That's, that's real. my childhood. He probably yeah. didn't look like he looks in the statue. He looked like probably just big fat hairy. He giant didn't wear flannel. <laughs> Say what? <laughs> he didn't wear flannel. It might be not. I don't know if they're around. <laughs> I think he had flannel and suspenders, and, <laughs> and that. Yeah, that's yeah, fine. possibly. So, uh, so these tall tales, you know, um, yeah. they weren't fiction, and the word "tall" didn't mean false until the 19th, 20th centuries. When people stopped believing in giants because there was no much evidence of them anymore. But yeah, they were definitely here in America, and they did not get buried on purpose. These are not burial ceremonies. These giants are buried randomly in random order and position, and like their animals are often buried with them in random order, and then their tools are buried with them. And a lot of times people will say, oh, they're bringing their tools with them into the afterlife. Come on. Now they're literally just standing there, and they're holding their tools, and something killed them and buried them over all at once. It's, it's the only real good explanation here. 
Every other explanation is kind of a stretch. So what could have caused the burial? So yeah, the mud flood event, I, I suggest is an energetic event because in order to understand where the mud came from, you have to define the source of all that energy that pushed it. If it's a shovel or if it's, if it's heat or if it's lightning, you gotta find the source of all that energy. Um, I believe that the energy was simply a device con uh, constructed on Mars that, that let energy loose through the atmosphere. It's very simple to build a laser that lets energy um, through the atmosphere. You don't even have to target the Earth because the Earth is the closest thing to Mars when they're in proximity. That energy will guarantee flow to the Earth's surface and it'll guarantee coalesce to a point and strike the ground. It's easy to do. Now, if they did that, the only thing that they'd have to be aware of is to predict and pinpoint the exact location of that charge. Otherwise, they would destroy things they didn't want to destroy. And yet, they left all this evidence behind, the mud flood. I don't think that was intentional. I think the mud flood was not intentional because here we are talking about it. I mean, they've really covered everything up well, but not this because they can't. They can't cover this up. There's just too much of it left. And they can only say it was something else at this point. So I have to assume that the mud flood was not intentional. It was an accident. I call that the secondary discharge theory. Let's see if I have that on here. Secondary. Um, and that's where they sh they use the laser too many times, you know, for like they're shooting places for like a straight month or something. And this energy has to go somewhere. Uh, the laws of physics say it can't destroy energy. So the energy destroys the location they want and that goes into the earth and the earth heats up. And eventually they used the laser too much that the energy came straight back up out of the earth again using the old uh, crevices and this destroyed the west um there was nothing here in america in the west there wasn't much of a, a kingdom or anything to be threatened of there was a lot of ports uh russian uh ports in here in america on the west coast but um but they weren't a threat to anyone and south america wasn't really that populated so I don't believe these regions were purposefully destroyed. I think that they were accidentally destroyed by a secondary discharge after laser was used too much. It's just my my theory. And, and if I'm wrong, then they have to explain why they left behind so much evidence. That the, the California Islands is the biggest piece of evidence. And, they, and one of the clues that the California used to be an island was that it has this location called Hollywood or Hollywood, which used to represent the entire Northern California region, not just the town, which has no forest, but the 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 the, the um, redwoods and the redwoods are a unique forest big trees uh that has to that's be where i'm from great great excellent yeah um the redwoods having big trees and not found anywhere else on earth has to mean something it might mean that this region had uh, was better protected during this event where trees tallest things everywhere on the planet could not survive lightning storms and were all destroyed all the trees on earth all at once all destroyed uh here in the savannah we got these awesome looking trees, but none of them are over 200 years old. 200 years is like when they all start growing again. So all the trees are wiped out except for in the holy wood of California. And I know why that happened. It's because, okay, well, I've been studying plasma physics for a long time. Plasma physics rules the universe. It's very convincing once you understand how that works. And all that energy is flowing into America, flowing into these islands, going around the islands and into the water. The energy goes to the point of least resistance. And this island of California represented a sort of energetic bubble that could protect the forest as the energy, energy struck, which is why we find trees in and uh, the redwoods, which are bigger and older than anywhere else on Earth. So this holy wood, as it was merging into the continent of America, um, the forest survived miraculously. That was, that's my, that's my uh, little story there.
So yeah, moving on ahead. Um, in modern times, essentially the 1812 um, apocalypse was yet another reset. Like that 1492 was reset. The uh, dark, um, the fall of, of uh, the golden age was a reset, but um, the 1812 one was the biggest one. It left the most damage behind. It caused the biggest change in human culture. It removed elements from our society like giants, completely gone, no more giants. Um, it made people believe God was a real influential affair in human affairs, which they still do today. I know my family does, uh, my parents, Definitely raised me to believe that was the case. And um, you got people saying stuff like, bless you when you sneeze, you know? Why do they say that? There has to be a good reason for it, not just superstition, but tracing it back far enough to this 1812 reset, people saw a connection between health and religion. All of the the disloyal um, to God were suffering the worst outbreaks of, of uh, you know, leprosy and so forth, and the loyal in the churches for some reason, they're, they're healthy still, because like I said, those churches were designed for this event to, to take that energy and harness it and um, survive lightning storms. And so this Real quick questions. Yeah, Sorry. Uh, my buddy, again, asked, uh, why is Tasmania listed? So I'm looking at that uh, that photo that you have up here at the map. I, um, my buddy, Drew, he's actually from Australia. And so right down there, Tasmania, they're, li they're listed on the Rus Horde Empire. Do you have any info on that? Um, no, not really. Is there a reason why? Okay. I thought that the uh, British had um, taken that, had uh, colonized that region. And I guess my point is that the British stole all of their history from the Russians after the 1812 war. So everything mm. that you know as British in literature, including the Declaration of Independence, they're actually referring to Russia. And why do I think this? For a lot of other reasons, you know, besides what Fremenko says, there's a lot of clues here. The British, the word British means bright, comes from bright. And English comes from angel. And both the word bright and the word angel were associated with white people, not because they're angelic or, or anything like that, but because they were small evangelists during the Jesuit uh, expansion. They went to places with giants and black people and African stuff, and they, they appeared white. So everyone said, oh, the bright people are here. The British are here. And, um, and this includes the Bruce Court Empire, where the emperor was also white. So this entire region was known as Britain, England, you name it, until after the Napoleonic Wars, when, Brit when the British society stole everything, including the, the um, aristocracy lineage. They pretend today that their kings and queens go back a thousand years or more, when no, they don't. And this is not just England. This is all of Europe. I just found this other guy, um, I forget the name right now, but um, he, did, he went to these countries, he researched them, and he found this that every country in Europe disagrees with everyone else's history all over the place. Huge overlap, especially with the monarchy. That's the biggest dispute of all. The monarchs of England, going back hundreds of years, all dispute each other's claims. They, they are all intermarried, and they deny it, and they don't deny it. And it's just as messy as you could possibly imagine. So somebody really smart, not that smart, who um, was part of this reset of the world knew these things. They've been studying these things for hundreds of years. They knew they could do this. They can steal Russian history, give it to Europeans, and tell every single one of them that that's their own history. And yeah, go fight wars over it, go create security forces and stuff, because they're never going to agree on it. And they're absolutely never, ever going to agree that they stole it from Russia. You see, right now, today, we're all willing to go to war with Russia before we're even willing to talk to them. We're not even going to negotiate. We're not talking about rally on the ground. 
we're not talking about peace. We're not talking about giving the starving people of the world all of that grain that's being held up because of the war. We in the West are going to go to war with Russia at all costs. So this is just repeating history. Napoleon did it. Hitler did it. Um, you know, Hitler was pretty, um, they said he was insane, but really it was just a deep state puppet. He went and rallied Europe um, to invade Russia. And he did in the summer. And then it was so poorly planned that they, they stalled until winter and then they failed. So here you go. History repeats itself just like with Napoleon, except for real this time. The deep state tried to invade Russia and destroy it once and for all and get rid of all that history so they can claim it forever. And Russia beat them. They lost 8 million people, 8 million soldiers in World War II, and the Germans only lost like 500,000. And after that moment in, 14, 19, in 1941, when we, when the Russians beat the Germans, up until that point, America, we've been supporting them, the Nazis. We gave them weapons. We let them visit. And suddenly we acted like we did not support them ever. And we sent our troops over to Germany to just slaughter them. And we lost so many Americans and Germans for nothing, nothing, nothing. We totally betrayed the Germans that, in that moment. And guess what? We betrayed the Japanese too. With Pearl Harbor, we told them that we could take out their old vassal enemy, the British. And we were going to let their ships sail to England. But as, as they approached Hawaii, we took them out in deep waters, covered it up, we staged Pearl Harbor. And then for no reason in the world, we turned on the so-called Axis powers. The only reason I'm mentioning all of this is because the deep state completely failed with World War II here. They, they didn't get what they wanted. They didn't destroy Russia. And they had to come up with yet another plan for yet another reset. So that was 70, 80 years ago. Books came out back then predicting this event we're seeing today, saying the, the powers that be didn't get what they wanted in World War II, and they're going to try again. They're going to attack Russia because Russia has all of their history, all of the technology, all, you name it. They, they are the linchpin for all of our world problems. I'm not saying the Russians are better not what I'm saying. In fact, all of the good indigenous Russians of history have been wiped out a long time ago and replaced with, you know, more Central European Slavics, and we're all mixed now. There's no reason to be racist anymore. We're all just one race now. But Russia, with all of its crazy history, is, is going to eventually unlock the deep state from its power grip of the world by pointing out the simply the obvious that all of our history is connected in one unified history. We don't have any reason to split it. That all our world religions are unified too. They all came from the same place. And um, and essentially things like usury, like money, have no authority. It, you know, uh, it used to be God's authority, but here in America, we just created the federal government and said it's their authority. And this is entirely fiat. This is out of thin air. And at some point, the Russians are going to point all of this stuff out and... I won't go into that, but um, yes, we are facing another reset right now. And it's only because the deep state didn't get what they wanted. Every time they reset, they either get what they want in the last hundreds of years in power or they fail and they have to start new plans. And so we're seeing the new plans right now. Um, essentially, war with Russia. Um, we're seeing a, um, a another uh, food shortage apocalypse. We're completely repeating 1492 right now. Food shortage apocalypse is contrived. It's not real. It's being held up by, you know, ships at the docks not being allowed to, to dock and stuff, and by this fake war that we're having with Ukraine. In the meantime, they've uh, did this vaccination campaign worldwide. You know, it's not like we have any one government that was able to resist this, with the exception of Russia. They, you know, were able to make their own vaccine, so they're kind of on top of it. And then we have these 5G towers all over the place, um, installed all at once. 
whatever they're planning is bad. It's going to be really bad. I don't think there's anyone there, anything that can stop it. But when it's mm. over, when this next reset's over, if the deep state isn't in charge, it's a winner take all situation. If they can't get what they want out of the situation and be in control of the earth with a cashless society, everyone has a, uh, you know, they can identify you remotely, um, uh, population control of the Wazoo, you know, less than 5 billion population, sorry, less than 1 billion population worldwide. Um, they'll start releasing technology. They'll make our life, you know, super great. You know, we can not have to worry about food anymore as long as we give up meat. And, um, and they Why say, do they want us to give up meat, Ari? Oh, man. They will never give up meat. I'll guarantee you that. Um, mm -hmm. Meat represents one of our last sovereignties. If you can raise cattle and slaughter them, then you have a, an element of freedom that is extremely powerful and influential with your society. You can save people's lives around you. You can, you can do anything you want. If you lose that, then you have to find some other food source. What do we got? Farming? Well, guess what? They've already split up the farming. They separated the fertilizer from the seeds long time ago, 19th century, they did this. And today you can't be a farmer and have your own seeds and, and, and do your own farm unless you're, um, unless you're off the system. If you're off the system, then you have a hard time getting into grocery stores. So they basically, so they, they divide and conquered us to the point that we can't make our own food and to get rid of meat. Um, they, they're going to basically convince us that, um, it's bad for the climate. These videos that I'm seeing about meat, I cannot believe. They're saying, you know, cows are, are bad for the environment. Maybe we have to get rid of them. But this was predicted. If you've watched that movie, Children of Men, you'll see that a lot of this stuff was actually predicted for 2027. And at the beginning of that movie, you see a bunch of cows destroyed in the fields. They're all burning. And I've never understood, you know, last 20 years, thinking about that scene, 15 years, why that would happen in, in our reset, the next reset. Why would they kill the cows? I didn't get it. Um, and now I'm finally seeing it happen for real. These uh, farmers are coming out with uh, stories. They're saying the government is paying us 2,300 a head to kill our cows. And if you refuse, then they're going to show up and they're going to kill your cows. And then they're going to put the money in your bank account. And there's nothing to do about it. Our government's been at war with the farmers. Uh, Jade Helm was an invasion of Texas by our federal government. It was a serious incursion. It wasn't what the media likes to portray it as, like some kind of joke. And um, and we've had some, some standoffs in the West Coast in Oregon and in California especially, uh, these standoffs with the federal government are over our sovereignty. They're trying to take our every last thing away. It's not just guns, everything. Our ability to take our own water out of the ground, you know, everything. To so, collect water that comes out of the sky. Yeah. That's illegal. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. That, that 1492 reset, they did the same thing. They, they just came up with these tribe reasons to kind of take out the population and reduce it down to what they thought they could control it as. And then after about 100, 300 years, population grows again, and boom, they have to do another reset. They are like Thanos, just like in the Marvel stories. They are they really believe in what they're doing. They really believe that if they can get rid of half of them, that the other half will be grateful, and they'll say thank you. And and now we got this, and we will stay austere, and we'll, we won't go beyond our means. won't ask for our sovereignty or our rights anymore, and we'll let the deep state have full 100% control of the human race for us. So all right, real fast. Is there opposition to that deep state? Yeah. Is yeah. there organized opposition to that deep state? Yep, 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 yep. I mean, just the cool. fact that they failed with World War II is, is yeah. right there, the resistance. So who are they? And they and you're telling me that they don't stand a chance. Uh, yeah. If, if, it, if you and me, anyone that you've ever met in your life is not really part of this 
we are we are the lower echelon of our society in the deep state pyramid, and they are so many layers above us. Up there, they do the the only means of control of anything. They can start the wars, they can end the wars. If you want to stop the wars or start the wars or or do something at that layer, you need one of them. You need their help, and that is the hardest part because they're all a big family. So, what has happened was that the deep state has never ever been of one unified mind. They've always had internal divisions. They always will, because families always do. And their internal disputes have become so broad that you can actually point out who they are in history. Napoleon was an internal dispute. He was raised by deep state. He was supposed to be this one thing. And he completely turned on them. He completely, way turned on them in this big, big, massive way. So do you think that that could be a a, a, maybe a saving grace if one of them powerfully someone powerful enough turns on the deep state right exactly um that's exactly okay. what i think happened with trump he's raised in our garden he's nothing special <clears throat> except he was born and raised to be a president during the downfall of america uh he wasn't supposed to win in 2016 he was supposed to lose to hillary and then he was supposed to win in 2020 and then you know everyone elects him to put a man in charge and let's try a man because they were so mad at hillary for four years of America's economic downfall, which is all planned. Um, and then he would represent another four years of downfall. So we blamed Obama, the black president, for eight years downfall. Then we blame the women, then we blame the man. That's just a 20, it's just a 16 year plan that they had all of these same guys were raised in the same place. And uh, they all have like Jewish blood in them, you know, like Obama's part Jewish and Hillary's part Jewish and they're all related. But Trump represents this major deviation, almost like a Napoleon style. Uh, disruption of the plan. So did he do it? No, of course he didn't do it by himself. He can't do it by himself. He's just one guy. They would take him out. Something else happened there. And what happened, in my opinion, and from the intel I've seen, is that the U.S. Army <clears throat> in the last 20 years finally started to take it seriously that America's in jeopardy. We came from a, a place in the 90s where we thought we were impervious and superior. But all that's over now. And the generals in, in the Obama years got real paranoid and the media took, took out a few of them and um, they started to take this stuff seriously. Russia was telling them, you guys are in danger. There are plans that work. You're going to get taken out and then we are too. So they came up with a counter plan. The counter plan is very simple. There is no other thing that would work here to prevent the next reset except to, to execute the reset prematurely. That's it. And what is the reset? It's a sequence of events that lead up to worse and worse events until we get to the state where everyone's dying and it's warfare and disease all over the place. To prevent that, you look at the individual steps and you say, well, this is gonna happen. There's no stopping that. There's no stopping that. And you just, you try to be the one that triggers those events as early as possible, as safely as possible so we can get past it and move on. One of those events was the mandatory vaccination. In a lot of countries on this planet, you will see mandatory vaccinations, very scary stuff. No ability for anyone to resist or say no. They'll come to your door and they'll make sure you are. Here in America, we had the experimental vaccine. Uh, it's very important that they use that word because they didn't actually get approval for a full, um, a full vaccine, which they could have mandated against us. They gave themselves authority to do that. And whoever the good guys are of this knew that trick. They knew that if it was experimental, that they're winning America's Americans the right to choose. And that's, that's everything. The right to choose is, is going to save your life if anything turns out to be bad about these things. I know this stuff gets banned a lot. I'm, so afraid, I'm sorry if I'm covering it. But I saw an article in mainstream media today saying that um, when Moderna is, is 
is apologizing for particles in their vaccine. I mean, obviously they had some kind of um, manufacturing problems and they're coming out with a story of oh, the fault, the service fault and all this stuff. So in America, we are able to avoid having to do the mandatory and that was it. That was the only thing we can do here. Um, we can't like not do the vax because they knew that the media would use every attempt to resist against. A lot of people ask the same question. Why did Trump endorse the vax? He seems to be a good guy. Um, but on this one issue, he's been asked and he says, this is an important issue. We can't lose on this issue. The Republicans can't lose on this issue. Those are his words. And what he really means is if the Republicans ever start to say anti-vax, then they will lose all the elections. Boom. The media will just say they lost. They'll steal the election. They'll say they lost because they said it. It won't, won't even matter if it happens. It's so guaranteed to fail that they realized they had to be on top of that issue. If anyone asks if Republicans are, are you know, on top of this important COVID issue, then they'll look at their track record and say, yes, we are. We didn't do anything wrong. Gave the Americans a choice. And if they said no, that's their choice because they're Americans. So that was a Republican conservative sort of solution to get past this, this thing. And we did. And so that's just one example. Another example is religious war. There's supposed to be a huge war between America, Israel, and um, Iran. Everyone knows it. Who studied the Iran deal. Uh, that deal is designed to bring us to war. It's supposed to bring us to fake peace under the idea that we're splitting uranium so that we can never go to war. And then the Iranians break the deal and they make a bomb. I don't believe in nuclear bombs. I don't think they exist aside from depleted uranium. The um, fission, fusion, fake. But the Iranians are going to use this example or this excuse to go to war with America. And Americans are going to say we can't allow them to have a bomb. But we're going to use excuse to go to war with Iran. And why? Because the Christians believe that God will protect them in a war. And the Iranians believe that God will protect them in a war. So this World War III was inevitable. It was going to happen. And the good guys saw this. And so they created the Abraham Accords. That was under Trump. And they went to Israel and they went to uh, the Emirates. And they signed this accord. And they said, hey, you know, if war is ever breaks out between our religions, we're going to do this, this, and that to prevent it. And by the way, Abraham Accords, right? I mean, that's signifying unity between Abrahamic religions who are destined to go to war. So those accords prevented World War III from the religious aspect. And now we're only seeing the Russia aspect, you know, Russia phobia, which is essentially based on nothing but Russia phobia. Um, removing the religious aspect from World War III made World War, World War III completely sanitized. What we're seeing right now is not really like war. It's just stupid border skirmishes in Europe. Um, we have avoided World War III, and they are not going to be able to trigger it again later, not with that reason, not with this reason. That's what I mean by executing the reset prematurely. I've, I've seen from the intel, everyone agrees that that's what has happened, that we went step by step and we got past the scariest points so that we can get through this alive with sovereignty intact without them having the ability to do it again in the future. And that's why I say winner takes all. If, if they lose, if they can't get what they want on this reset, then they lose all of it. Then it all gets exposed. Then these details you and I are talking about will suddenly become mainstream and not forbidden anymore. And people will say, geez, we were in such a, we were in such a delusion this whole time. We knew about these things and masons and symbols and, and everyone in our society was so phobic to research it because TV told us we're not allowed to. And if that, then boom, all exposed. Go ahead. Um, in your opinion, what exactly was the vaccine and what was the purpose? Um, since it didn't really kill that many people, just a small percentage of people, we can't accuse it of being like, you know, all that deadly. And it's, it's, um, 
plausibly deniable, which is why a lot of people say, I don't see any evidence of what you're talking about. You're wrong. So we can't get anywhere. But it seems like one of those slow burns because I'm seeing a lot of folks that are now succumbing to, and those are the only people, uh, this video is definitely going to get burned from YouTube. That's fine. Uh, We'll get a strike. Uh, But, but dude, okay. So there's quite a few people that I know recently that have been getting, you know, the V or no, getting the C and they're the only people that are getting it are people that are V'd. Yes. And, That's uh, it. Family, same story. Um, it's the case. I'm fat. I'm poor. I'm a beaner. I'm everything they said that, like, you know, I'm a POC, <laughs> poor, fat, idiot. You know, like, I should be dead by now. I've never gotten it. Yeah, you should have the most severe version of it. Se- severe exactly. disease and death. <laughs> so, so, yeah, um, this was a, um, a project to get uh, graphene oxide inside for everyone on Earth. Uh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense to me too. It also seemed like it was designed to maybe take out any of this sounds really fucked up, but some of the weekends in right. society, almost like a right. eugenic sort of thing. Right. And, and I think that's almost what the C was too. Um, because it seemed to really have taken out like the old folks, maybe the ones that, you know, can't contribute to taxes anymore and are just simply a burden, and, you know, and they're just like, well, because I don't know how you feel about it being made in a laboratory or not, if it was actually designed or if it was just a flu and they just took this as like an opportunity and said, Hey, look at this scary thing. Well, since we're on the topic, um, here's what. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was just a flu, just a modified flu, you know, genetic modified. They had some spike proteins on it so that the proteins would expire and evolve on their own in other countries so that they can say, Hey, look, we found a new variant in your country because it's a different spike protein. But there's really no evidence that these variants are any different from each other or the flu. So this is really just just a gases wash. Uh, this is this is just a big psyop. Now, what is the real threat here? Aside from the fact that this vax might have some side effects, I think most people will will, uh, will suffer just fine. They won't have any long-term problems that they that they can't ignore anyway. And um, and eventually, I do believe that there will be a positive campaign. Uh, suggesting all of the good benefits of this vaccine that they have not admitted to yet. And so I'm kind of, you know, getting into the future here of, of what they had planned for us. Uh, cashless society, no more IDs, credit cards. Um, you just uh, just walk into a building and they scan you. So how they do that? Well, this vaccine has, has given everyone that ability. By putting the graphene oxide in the body, the body has become essentially a computer. It can uh, store memory and retrieve memory remotely Machines can now read your your memory, not not your thoughts, nothing like that, but more memory, additional uh, supplemental memory that's being stored in your blood in these in this metal, in this oxide. Um, they can control your health. They can hook you up to a machine where you'll you'll everything will be cured because you have the oxide in it. In the same stroke, they can kill you. Um, these five G towers will have the ability to make you happy, make you sad. Um, they already can affect us without the vax, but with it, big, big difference. Um, they will, um, <clears throat> if they want to say, make an entire population of one city die by the age of 50, you know, earlier, then they can make that happen on a schedule. Just just the tiniest little adjustments of their towers. So this, this vax and the towers are the ultimate population control, intimate and internal in your body, you know, no defense from it kind of thing. Um, those people, um, they might not even see a downside 
to it because they believe in their government and their corporations so much that as long as it keeps benefiting them, you know, they don't see a problem. You and I are scared to death of this stuff. Yeah, um, there's so much predictive programming about this stuff. I mean, those, the Prometheus movie is all about the black goo. And then the, the sequel, um, Covenant, is all about the plan for the uh, engineering race to take it, the black goo, to Earth and infect everyone with the black goo. I mean, come on. this is it, this, These movies are reflecting these plans. And these plans are essentially... Is that that graphene oxide, the black yeah, goo? Is black that goo what that represents? represents? I've seen people uh, we, graphene oxide and black goo lately these days. Yeah. Uh, so we have another comment that says, uh, I wonder if it depends on what jab was given or what batch to. And I have uh, – this gentleman is vaccinated because uh, he was forced to, unfortunately, to keep his job. He says, but I've never had COVID, and I'm around it all the time with my students. Right, That's right. interesting. Let me grab an interesting link that you might like. Um, yes, it's all about batches. The worst, most deadliest batches came all at once and are now being or going to soon be attributed to manufacturing defects that that were outliers. In other words, they, they happened like less than 1% of the time. My batch. batch. Oh, man, that's a really good site. There is one. Did oh, they take it down? No, no, no. Yeah, I, my batch, uh, like, dot whatever. Yeah, I've been there. Yeah, it's like. Man, I hope I don't lose it here. It's my private chat. Yeah, there are some okay. websites out there. If you, if any guys want to ping me later, uh, we'll definitely find it for you. Uh, that tell you which batches were the deadliest, and and um, the rest were mostly benign. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay, I, I so I'm familiar with that website, and someone was saying um, that the AstraZeneca was not listed on there, so they couldn't see if their batch was good or bad. Mm. Um, I think it was only Pfizer and Moderna that was on there. Yeah, Pfizer's a big problem. Yeah. So uh, yeah, Pfizer's a big problem in general, dude. They're just an evil fucking company. Yeah, and they have been. This is nothing new. I know. <laughs> didn't start. Yeah, it didn't start in 2020. Yeah. So I guess one last thing I'll say is, um, I believe that zombies are real. I believe that they happened in history. There's literature of them. Dubek or Dubuk. Um, uh, you can see an example of that in uh, Serious Man in the beginning. That was supposed to be some place in Asia, and those Jews from Asia basically were experiencing Walking Dead people. So why would that happen these days? These 5G towers and this graphene oxide might have the ability to reanimate the dead if they if enough energy is put into it. Now, have we seen anything like this yet? No, we haven't. But there is this one video. I don't have to play it, but it does seem to be totally real to me real-life zombie outbreak that's occurring in Russia in the 90s, and it's honestly the scariest thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, it made me believe it, because it's not like the movies. The movies show just, you know, humans slowly wandering around and kind of tearing at each other, but zombies represent an inversion of the human um, inner um, polarity, and all cells in the body have polarity. Um, they're either uh, electron donors or electron stealers, against that polarity, which is, um, which is why, um, all, all health and everything's related to energy. And if you have too much stuff in your body that's stealing those electrons then you can't ever get your health up again, but if you were to dial the way, then the polarity drops. And if you were to be energized by a reverse polarity, by the opposite, uh, uh, polarity of energy that enters your body, then your blood will shift into that reverse polarity and it will continue to, to function. Your body will continue to function. 
as the blood reverse polarity, it cannot generate new blood anymore. So you have to eat blood from other creatures in order to survive. And that's where you get also vampires. The only difference between vampires and zombies are that they, vampires are sophisticated, sort of have things under control, like the adrenochrome junkies that, that you know, are all over our society right now. So those, those guys represent vampires, essentially. Even if they're not dead yet, they could essentially go into Walking Dead and still continue to survive as long as they have that, that blood energy. So anyway, I just wanted to mention that. Uh, could be totally wrong about zombies, but I've seen a lot of evidence that this, this stuff, this graphene oxide, you know, it um, reacts to energy. It's like you see this video here, it's moving. Um, and you send different frequencies and you get different effects, essentially. So it's, 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 uh, it's really scary. It's really um, futuristic. And there's every reason to dismiss it and just say, you know, this is fantasy still. But I think we've entered the age where if the suppressed technology is going to be used against us, then it's going to be used against us right now. Fascinating, man. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, I think we're going to have to do a part two at some point because uh, I wanted to get into George George W. Bush and you said he was taken out at a certain point. Like, man, there's just there's just so much. My wife is going to kill me if I don't get off because we're past two hours. <laughs> past two hours, yeah. That was a good yeah. show. Yeah, man, this was awesome. Ari, you fucking killed it again. Dude, this is so much information. I'm going to have to go over it and watch it again like two or three more times. And <laughs> I thank you, brother. Um, I'm going to hit the outro, brother. Uh, do you want to do your plugs one more time? So paradigmthreat.net, tell yeah. everybody where they find you. And the Discord no longer exists, but is there a chat on your website? Like, do you guys? That's right, yeah. Um, I got, I'm hosting my own chat now. So it's just chat.paradigmthreat.net. And you can find the link on the top of the paradigmthreat.net website. We don't have many people in there. So, yeah, come visit. We're not going to lose anything because, uh, you know, we're, we're not getting censored or anything. So the research we're storing here is for keeps. Everything in Discord is gone, but everything we're storing here now is forever. I'm going to have to jump in there and hang out. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. You're definitely welcome. Thank you, brother. This was awesome. Have a good night, Ari. All right. See you later, man.